Spanish right now. FYI. But 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 I uh, it's but, different. Uh, it looks very different. I like, I like the wild Lakeisha. Bring bring her back. Bring yeah, the bring the wild Lakeisha. Cheryl. <laughs> Cheryl. I didn't oh my goodness. Yes. Man, you better be lucky that I can. I love the middle kid. part, by the way. If anyone wants to put Cheryl on stage, I'm willing. I'm willing to invest. <laughs> I'm just saying. Can't fight. Hey. in person. Cheryl needs to do stand up. She needs to hold these skills. I swear she needs to do stand up. I swear. Yeah, she needs an open mic. Yeah, I have to accidental. Oh, you know. Accidental <laughs> offender. Uh, yeah, she's a like role Tyler, star. When are we? She's just do naturally this? born to yeah. roll. I mean, but change Tyler, her accent, and she's a regular New Yorker. Yeah. When are, when are we doing yeah, open mic? Supposed to go New York anytime soon. Okay, three minutes. Okay, here we go. Okay. Air horn. Air horn. Uh, okay. Did you check your your opinion tweet already? I did. Thank school? you. Here we go. The top story this lovely Monday, October 18th. Um, the top stories, the Wall Street Journal's internal documents, Facebook's AI. And here's here's what their, the headline, according to their documents, is Facebook's AI has minimal success enforcing its rules against problematic content, including removing an estimated 3 to 5% of hate speech. And on his face that's now correct that's an update of when we read it eight hours ago to be more in line with the facts yet still um painting a un, un it's not the most realistic framing of the issue so the question okay let's read it again nice and slow what they're saying is facebook's ai has minimal success enforcing its rules against problematic content, including removing an estimated 3 to 5% of hate speech. Okay, now, based on that, and here's the problem. Based on that headline, if you only read that headline, you might go around telling people, oh, if I if somebody writes some hate speech on Facebook, I've got a 95 to 90 7% chance of that hate speech being spread on Facebook because according to the Wall Street Journal's headline its AIs only remove uh 3 to 5% of hate speech and you would be wrong because they have many other ways that they reduce the visibility of hate speech on Facebook and and that should make sense to you as a human being with a fucking brain because you don't see a lot of hate speech on Facebook, do you? No, nobody does. That's because they remove nearly all of it. In fact, numerically, they remove 99.995 of it. So the point is, the AI is not doing the heavy lifting, isn't the at all the only trick in their up their sleeve for reducing hate speech on Facebook, obviously. Yet, the headline doesn't include any of that. So it's misleading. It's a misframing. It could cause people to walk around thinking, oh, Facebook's doing a piss poor job at removing hate speech from Facebook. And you would be, again, very wrong because they do a fine job of removing hate speech from Facebook. They have a lot of people leaving Facebook. I've never met one that's ever mentioned hate speech. I've never heard anybody mention hate speech on Facebook. That is, They have a lot of problems. They have people leaving and whatnot. 
but not due to hate speech. And that should give you an indication that something is amiss in this headline of Facebook's AI has minimal success enforcing its rules against problematic content, including removing. Yeah, it's because they don't really rely on AI. Make sense now? It's kind of like saying it was I, I we when we were talking about this eight hours ago, I brought up a similar article over the weekend from the San Francisco Chronicle in San Francisco talking about, well, actually, last during the week, last week, Walmart, I'm sorry, Walgreens, Walgreens says we're shutting down five stores in San Francisco and we're shutting them down due to an epidemic of shoplifting. And then the San Francisco Chronicle says that, and here, here's a, a very similar scenario. Watch this. Here's the headline from San Francisco Chronicle on the, uh, as a response to Walmart saying, Walgreens, sorry, closing five stores. The headline says, is shoplifting forcing Walgreens to cut back in San Francisco? Data on the closing stores puts the claim into perspective. Implying that well, uh, there's something amiss here. There's something afoot. Uh, let's get Columbo on the case. And can, here's the first, check out the first little paragraph. Data released by San Francisco Police Departments does not support the explanation announced by Walgreens that is closing five stores because of organized rampant retail theft. One of the stores set to close on Ocean Avenue had only seven reported shoplifting incidences this year and a total of 23 since 2018, the data showed. While not all shoplifting events are reported by police, the five stores slated to close had fewer than two recorded shoplifting incidences a month on average since 2018. So what's the deal, Walgreens? This makes no sense at all. You say you're shutting your stores down to rampant daily, hourly shoplifting. And yet the police, we checked with the police department. The police department says you're only getting two shop. You're only having two shopliftings per per what month on average. So clearly you're lying to us, Walgreens, clearly, because obviously the police get every fucking shoplifting report, obviously. Right. And then they tweet this from their Twitter account. And the manager of the Walgreens says, hey, I managed that store for all of 2020 and most of 2021. We had dozens of shoplifts every fucking hour of that year. So many that we didn't bother to call the police. Oh, oh. So the journalist went down to the police, didn't like what Walgreens had to say. Right. Because it embarrasses the city and the shows the government is just fucking loopy tunes and it's making San Francisco look bad. They got to close their stores because the whole the whole city is being mismanaged. So the journalists took it, you know, wanted to challenge it, called up the police station, got the data from the police and then realized, aha, we got you. You're lying. This doesn't add up. And they wrote a headline about that. Or they could have called the store and said, hey, are, how many shopliftings do you have there each day or each hour? And then they wouldn't have been in the, in the position of having to have been schooled and embarrassed on their own Twitter account by the manager of the store, the previous manager of the store. And several of the people who worked there who made a very funny point of showing photos from the stores with all of the merchandise now behind 
plastic uh, plexiglass with locks and keys, including the fucking Oreo double stuff cookies. Everything. Everything in that store is entirely covered in plexiglass with little locks and keys. And anything you want in the entire store now has little buttons. It calls somebody over to come unlock the toilet paper that you want to buy. And, and why are they doing that? Why are they locking the entire store under plexiglass with locks and keys? To protect the items. You know, because those items don't feel safe, you know. So this is my point, is these journalists have angles and they're not, they're, they're implying they've got the data. We've got the data. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the data on the closing stores puts the claim into perspective. Caught you red-handed, Walgreens lying to the American public. You said you were being, you're shutting down due to shoplifting. We don't believe that for one second because we went to the police and we got the shoplifting data. Gotcha. Boom. Case closed. Who's next? And anybody who's ever been in that store. Matter of fact, there are. I'll, I'll somebody in the audience will find it by the time I finish this sentence. Journalists have gone down to Walgreens to report on shoplifting on the increase during their filmings. People are shoplifting in the stores. So, so uh, back to the original article. I, I say all that for the additional context that when the Wall Street Journal says that there's internal documents at Facebook's. They found a document on the document. Facebook's AI's team are saying, hey, you know, by the way, we're only able to remove about three to five percent of hate speech. You know, it's really not that great. You know, we are the best in the world at it. Uh, however, you know, it's relatively small and we're still very reliant on the dozens of other means that we have of reducing the visibility of hate speech. That's the fuller context. Now, here's what's interesting. Just like the San Francisco Chronicle journalist, didn't call the wall the Walgreens manager to find out, you know, how often are you guys being shoplifted? Nor does the Wall Street Journal contact the Facebook and say, hey, we saw this document. It has this comment. Uh, we would love to have your input as, by the way, that's how it works. When we, we're going to read 50 more headlines in the next couple hours here, nearly every single one of them. And over the six months we've been doing this, nearly every single article, the journalist contacts the companies behind these headlines and asks them for a quote, asks them for their perspective. That's called journalism. That's what they paid $100,000 of student debt to go learn how to do. That's what their teachers taught them to do is you go ask them, hey, uh, we're doing this story. Uh, it's about you. Uh, we would love a comment from you. And 99% of the time, the companies, especially if they're tech companies, say no comment or they don't respond to the request for the comment. And the journalist always puts uh, the, you know, for the record, uh, Facebook has not responded to our request for a comment. And of course, they always do that when it makes the, the, the person they're asking for the comment look bad that they're not responding as if they've got something to hide. It implies they've got something to hide. Well, in this case, you don't find that line in this in this article because they didn't ask Facebook for a comment because they know if they had, Facebook would have brought the nuts, as it's called in poker, and slapped that shit down on the table and said, here's your royal flush. Here's everything you need to know that AI isn't really our main tool in in addressing hate speech. 
So why are you writing? What, you're, why are you framing a narrative, giving people the wrong impression that Facebook is ineffective at reducing hate speech or has a hate speech problem? WTF, WSJ. That's got to be your new slogan, Tyler. <laughs> it's weird. So, by the way, Facebook, next headline, related headline. That's a subheadline from The Verge. Facebook disputes Wall Street Journal report saying the prevalence of hate speech on the platform dropped 50% over the past three years to about 0.05% of content viewed. Well, how can that be? Well, it's because both can be true simultaneously. The AIs can only reduce 3 to 5% of hate speech, and hate speech is only 0.05% of content viewed because they have other, they have dozens of other ways of reducing it. And now you'd see how the Wall Street Journal tried to trick you. They're trying to corporate, they're trying to create corporate terrorism on one of their main competitors who are also competing for ad dollars. The Wall Street Journal and Facebook are viciously competing for ad dollars from advertisers. They are competitors, direct competitors. And Facebook's winning in that competition very handsomely. And the Wall Street Journal does, is not transparent about that when they write these hit pieces that they're trying to frame them as uh, Hitler reincarnate. That they have a problem with hate speech. This is corporate uh, corporate terrorism by a competitor, non-transparently, without any guise of journalism here. They don't even pretend to be doing journalism at this point. This is pure tabloid behavior. So. WTF, WSJ. WTF, WSJ. So. Then, uh, we have friends in the audience. Sorry, okay. No. So The Verge. Did, by the way, the the Facebook responded, wrote their own post. So that's why the headline says Facebook disputes the Wall Street Journal report saying that the prevalence of hate speech on the platform, blah, 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 blah. Because as soon as they saw the Wall Street Journal come out with this article, they got on the hot foot and put out the piece lickety split. No delay. Smart. You finally figured it out. I mean, they're smart. They got they got a whole bunch of smart cookie on that PR team over there. But the reason I say that is because previ previously, when what's it called? What's the when when the Wall Street Journal was doing these Facebook files and they came out with the quote unquote document about Instagram harming young ladies? Uh, Facebook was very slow on how to respond. It took several days, practically a week. And that festered, and it created this whole narrative. People started repeating the narrative. And the Wall Street Journal called up their friends at the New York Times and said, hey, we found some. Why don't you back us up and report what we're, you know, mention to your readers what we just discovered. Oh, hey, uh, Washington Post, why don't you cover this too? Oh, hey, everybody, all journalists everywhere, we're going into full attack mode with like a bunch of pack of fucking hyenas on a, on a lion. We're going to take this Simba down. And they did. That's what they all gang up and reiterate the Wall Street Journal's findings, which turned out to be totally cherry picked out of context, misframing 
and Facebook. It took them a week, but they eventually came out and said, oh, are you guys talking about this slide? Is this the slide you're talking about that you cherry picked your data from? Oh, let me explain to you what that's about, because that leaker of yours doesn't even work at Instagram, never did certainly was not involved in this meeting or the preparation of this document and doesn't understand the context, but we have the people who do and we can, we're more than happy to explain to you what this slide really says. It actually shows that we're helping young ladies actually is what it really shows. And here's how, if you don't know how to read data, let us read it for you. Oh, did that not help the narrative you were trying to create the corporate sabotage and terrorism you were trying to inflict on Facebook? Oh, I'm sorry. Is that inconvenient? for your corporate sabotage terrorist activities that we actually talk about the data that's on that slide, that that slide's fundamentally about. And that's why they didn't release the document and Facebook did release the document. And that's how you know who's actually got the nuts in that poker hand, as it's called. That's a poker term. So who's got, who's got the royal flush? Facebook threw out the royal flesh, but they it would that delay, and it really really delayed about a week before they did that. I think was their error because in the meantime, the whole world's like, oh shit, Facebook's uh, they're killing children on Instagram, they're killing young girls, they're killing sacrificing virgins to the dark lord on Instagram, and that meme just spreads all willy nilly. So you got to nip that shit in the bud, and kudos to Facebook's team for nipping this one in the bud because that could have the the whole the gang the whole the whole pack of hyenas would have jumped all over that that warthog had they had the chance had facebook not responded but now they can't because facebook's already shown they've got the nuts yet again so the they're the the other hyenas can't join in on the pack and dogpile on this whole false framing of a narrative of a bogus corporate sabotage terrorism narrative so, who, there was a few. Oh, there's Evan. Okay. And uh, Shane, we got a few other friends in the audience here. Okay. Dr. Fran. Okay, here we go. So, next article. What to expect from Apple's Unleashed event Monday. That's today. 14-inch, 16-inch MacBook Pros with mini LED screens, AirPods 3, redesigned Mac Mini, and a Mac OS Monterey launch today we should be getting the sometime today tomorrow what not this certainly this week the new mac operating system for the laptops called monterey and a mac developer says that the macbook pro 14 inch 16 inch with the mini led screens will have a better processor he says that the chips will be called the m1 pro and the m1 max so there might even be two options that's kind of crazy. Making some them sound more like phones in that way as well. Kind of a more... Uh, it, it unifies the product line, right? Everything's with the, kind of got the Yeah, thing. unifying the laptop nomenclature with the smartphones, the iPhones. That's kind of clever to do it that way, by the way. Especially if they start re- eventually release a freaking iPhone with an M1. Holy cow, would that be incredible? Please, ha- Santa. Chris they, would really love that. They already have it in the, I, the iPads. So eventually they could do it. That's that's a wild concept. Okay, well, that's what we're expecting. That's going to be coming in two and a half hours from now. They're going to start that live stream, and we will indulge as we always do, and it'll be good times. So in the meantime, the New York Times has a headline that the New York Stock Exchange says uh, 
that ProShares will launch an exchange-traded fund, what's called an ETF, linked to Bitcoin futures. So is this a third one now? There was two last week, at the end of last week. Giving investors exposure without having to hold Bitcoin directly. That's what an ETF does. Say so you can do the same with gold and, and oil and all kinds of stuff. These ETFs are shares that effectively are a, a synthetic of uh, some other commodity or asset or, or even other shares. You can buy an ETF of you know African tech companies. You can buy ETFs of all kinds of things. So it does make it very convenient if you just like to buy shares, especially if you're buying shares with no um, trading cost where you're not paying the exchange to actually acquire the shares, which is what Robinhood and others do, yeah, then you are you don't have any fees, essentially. Pretty pretty clever little trick. Hey, Tyler, yes. hey, Tyler we still have Vinay, Ken, and um, okay, Henry. Sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. No, 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 no I'm worries. sorry to interrupt No you. worries. I see Vinay now. Okay. So I, I just had didn't, wasn't scrolling down all the way. There's a whole bunch of folks in here. Tardy. Everyone's tardy. You're all tardy. Simon, you're tardy. Ken Tardy, Sorry. Professor Asif, you're tardy. Tardy, tardy, tardy. Anne Marie, you're tardy. Like Ten o'clock scholars for the party. Tardy for the party. Okay. So the next one, uh, Reuters says five U.S. House Judiciary Committee members write to Amazon, accusing executives of either misleading Congress or lying about promoting its brands above rivals. Oh snap! They got you with your hand. In the cookie jar. Because we read the articles last week. And that was hot. Hot, hot, hot. That Amazon was caught. T- finding out. Who looking at the data. A little too close. Finding out who's selling the best. What they're selling. Then going meeting with those manufacturers. And be like we noticed that you're making a product for some buddy that we don't really care about on our platform could you make it for us directly and we're just gonna call it an amazon brand and and promote it right at the top even though thousands of people have bought that person's juicer we're gonna make the amazon juicer and there's fifty thousand people all with five stars for this some poor schmucks you know joey's juicer and poor joey doesn't know what's coming here comes jeff jeff's juicer and Jeff Jeff Bezos has the Jeffy the Jeffy juicer, and now with no ratings, no selling history, just a straight up knockoff. Because holy shit, Jeff's a greedy bastard. As if have as if being the richest person in the world ain't fucking enough. I need more. I gotta I gotta That's fuck the people best over. Juicer in the world. I gotta hey. I got all the money in the world. Fuck it. Give me more. Who's that person over there, you know, selling their mom's, you know, special recipe, whatever they got going on? Fuck them. Not take them out. Kneecap them. We're going to replace that guy because daddy needs another billion. I only got 150 bill. I need more. Wow, that sounds like true American entrepreneur. So. Hey, it's not le- it's not illegal, but here's where it gets crazy. And I called it in the article. In the article, when we read this last week, I said, "Well, you know what? Technically, they're doing this 
because technically, and it, it's probably not illegal for them to do that. However, they were asked before Congress about this, Jeff Bezos, no less, and others. And they, when you appear before Congress, you're under oath. They still do this crazy thing where they have you put your right hand on the good book and swear to the holy, you know, the holy high Lord above that everything you say is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you God. And now you just did commit a crime if you swear, if you if you uh, distort the truth under that context. So now when they ask you, do you do this? Oh, shit. They, checkmate. How much does it cost to bribe ty- uh, Congress, Tyler? I can make it happen. I can just do it. So five billion for. Yeah, so it's not that they did. It's not that what they did is illegal. It's that they lied about doing it under oath. So five members of the U.S. House Judiciary Committee wrote to Amazon's chief executive Sunday and accused the company's top executives, including founder Jeff Bezos, of either misleading Congress or possibly lying to Congress about Amazon's business practices. Notice they're not writing to say, hey, you're a bunch of greedy fucking shady bastards fucking over good, hardworking people who are trying to sell stuff earnestly, honestly on your platform. That's not what we're writing to you about. We're writing about the fact that not only are you doing that, but you're lying about it under oath to the to the sweet Lord baby Jesus. You're hurting baby Jesus by lying to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And now you're going to ha- pay for, you're going to burn in hell for all of eternity. You just lied under oath. The letter also states that the committee is considering whether a referral of this matter to the Department of Justice for criminal investigation is appropriate. You might Let's get the Pope in here, too. What does the Pope have to say about you lying to the sweet baby Jesus? Well, recently he's had a lot to say, so let's see. Addressed to Amazon CEO Andy Jassy, a letter followed a Reuters investigation last week that showed that the company had conducted a systemic campaign of copying products and rigging search results in India to boost sales of its own brands. Practices Amazon has denied engaging in Jassy, a longtime American executive, succeeded Jeff Bezos in July. The letter states that credible reporting in the Reuters story and recent articles in several other news outlets directly contradicts the sworn testimony. Sworn means hand on the good book, the Bible. The New Testament. Sweet hallelujah, Lord above. Sworn testimony. Contradicts your sworn testimony, sir. I, which? How did this happen? You swore to the, the creator of the universe himself. And his virgin mother, Mary. <laughs> and... Yeah, the, the recent articles and several other con- directly contradicts the sworn testimony and representations of Amazon's top executives, including former CEO Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos, you might want to be careful stepping in that next rocket, son, because the Lord works in mysterious ways. And windbreakers. At best, this reporting confirms that Amazon's representatives misled the commun- community. The committee. And swore to the to the big man upstairs. At worst, it demonstrates that they may have lied to Congress in possible violation of federal criminal law. 
the letter states, Reuters reviewed a copy of the letter. In response, an Amazon spokesperson issued a statement that said, Amazon and its executives did not mislead the committee, and we have denied and sought to correct the record on the inaccurate media articles in question. It added, as we have previously stated, we have an internal policy which goes beyond that of any other retailer's policy that we're aware of that prohibits the use of individual seller data to develop individual seller data. We have no problem. So you have the entire cohort. Right. We can steal everybody's all at once. That's a whole different. We don't pick on on the leader. Right. You know, we just see the whole group. I'm not just going to eat one of your potato chips. I'm going to eat the whole fucking bag. Right. Hey, so that I'm, makes it okay. Right. I, hey, it says clearly I'm not going to eat any of your individual potato chips individually. But I didn't say I wasn't going to take the whole bag and just shove the whole fucking thing in my throat. <laughs> so, gotcha. Checkmate. Next, Get a better lawyer next time to read that fine print. So, uh, yeah, they're in some deep shit. Swearing on the good book. The next one. Is, um, Tyler, the yes. good book you talk about, um, how does it rank on Amazon and can we clone it? <laughs> the Amazon Bible by, by Jeff. Yeah, that there you might as well. I mean, at that point, you're 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 begging for it. Thou shall pillage. <laughs> thou shall rape and pillage wherever thou thou lands. <laughs> Thou shall wipe out all competitors and do 10-minute delivery and have the workers piss in bottles. That's <laughs> the, the the next one from the Wall Street Journal says they've got sources. It's, it's leak week. It's officially leak week over here at Tech News. There's a whole lot of documents, a whole lot of sources. Wall Street Journal says they've got sources that two Microsoft executives, including the CEO, Brad Smith, told Bill Gates in 2008 that emails with the mid-level female employee were inappropriate and Gates agreed to stop. They've got sources about a story from 14 years ago. Didn't we have the Me Too movement like a few years back? How did this not come up then? Top lawyer H.R. Chief informed some Microsoft directors they told billionaire co-founder that his emails with female employee were inappropriate. Well, he was married after all. The 2019 letter from a Microsoft engineer reporting an affair with Bill Gates that preceded his exit from the board wasn't the first time some Microsoft directors encountered the billionaire's inappropriate behavior with female employees. More than a decade earlier, Microsoft executives discovered emails between Mr. Gates and a mid-level female employee at the company while Mr. Gates was still an employee at Microsoft and the chair of the board, according to people familiar with the matter. In in the messages, the then-married Mr. Gates, there it is. I was about to say, why aren't you mentioning the fact that he was married? That's The then-married Mr. Gates was flirtatious and propositioned the female employee. The people said two top Microsoft executives, then general counsel Brad Smith and then chief people officer Lisa Brumell met with Mr. Gates and told him the behavior was inappropriate and needed to stop. The people said Mr. Gates didn't deny the exchanges, told the executives in hindsight it wasn't a good idea and said that he would stop. The executives briefed 
Some members of Microsoft's board, the people said, and a board committee discussed the matter. The board concluded no further action was warranted because there wasn't physical interaction, the people said. But Tyler, to your question, I think the reason it didn't come up or maybe um, a reason that it did not come up was that, you know, Me Too was about women who felt harassed. And if this was in some way consensual, maybe she chose not to or maybe felt pressured not to. But um, yeah, so 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 we, you know, as we've talked maybe a few months ago, um, I think Bill Gates was one of the subjects and um, a lot of companies have policies, you know, pertaining to their C-level executives and any sort of relationship with any employee within the company, regardless of their marital status or not. Um, you know, Best Buy lost a CEO, um, allegedly, <laughs> um, and the, you know, chairman and the founder of Best Buy stepped down because he was aware of an inappropriate relationship, but it wasn't necessarily harassment. It was just, it went against the company's policy that had just been established because of a scandal um, that cost IBM, I believe, or Intel millions of dollars. And so, um, so, so I, I, I do think that while it may have been inappropriate, if it wasn't harassment, it's probably why it may not have come up during the Me Too movement. The boy genius also did all this in email, which is really mind blowing. That is that is the weird part. Yeah, Tyler. <laughs> yeah, um, there was a couple of rooms that were talking about it when it came out with uh, Melinda Gates, and it, when it when their divorce sort of came forward a couple months but ago. But he yeah. did have stipulations in his prenup that that was something that he was doing even before he met her and married her. It was actually part of the prenup that he would be, he would have an ability to be with that one friend once a year. Do you remember that conversation? Yeah, yep. so I do. In some ways, it's kind of like, I agree with Lakeisha where there's probably some protocols that you have to follow, but I think it maybe didn't make such broad news because there was an agreement in place. And maybe it was just a little bit too close for comfort, but I agree with John. It's a little bit not the sharpest tool in the shed to be putting that down on email as well. It just doesn't um, make logical sense i'm going to speak on behalf wow. of charles you know he hangs out <laughs> where has charles been <laughs> chris trader joe chris gotta look where'd michael go by the way he disappeared he'll be back i'm sure subway break <laughs> i so think it's also worth noting that um melissa french gates um used to work at uh, microsoft yes marketing. Yeah, and she was an under, you know, un understudy. Well, I'm not. That's not the right word, but uh, underling. Underling, yeah. Uh, yeah. She was a subordinate. Subordinate. There it is. So does that mean that there is an? So was Jeff, like Jeff Bezos tangents? and McKinsey Bezos was as well. I don't it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, Sharon. Okay, so by the way, did I tell the story here in tech news around the world, like? five months ago about yeah. my friend in Seattle who was having an affair with Bill Gates. Yes. No, yep. we got to hear this. <laughs> no, say it again. You're so, always welcome to say it again. It feels like the Korean squid game. Grab game. the clip. Grab the clip. Cheryl, no, I'll switch off the clip first. Cheryl and Lakeisha, you can confirm I told the story five I months did. ago. 
Yes. 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 Be- before it was uh, Bill was ever publicly before, accused of any of this. Juicy. Go ahead and yeah. share it again. It's still juicy. And I even said back then, I can't believe this is real. What I'm sharing. You remember this? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And now yeah. since since. It was before the divorce, even. Even before the divorce, yes. yes. Before the divorce. Yeah. Maybe you are the cause of the divorce, Tyler. Are you the leader? <laughs> I imagine that. Are you the whistleblower? Now we know, Tyler. No, but you'll remember in the story, I said I was in Seattle at my friend's house in the hot tub in his house. We had just got done moving. Yeah. He was moving from California to Seattle. I helped him move, right? So I'm hanging out at his house. We're sitting in the hot tub. His girlfriend's best friend is, and so she's on the phone with her, whatever we're talking. And he's like, oh yeah, my girlfriend's best friend is dating Bill Gates. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's married. I'm like, yeah, no, but he's, he's got a, you know, a side hustle. You know, he's, he's got his own little startup going on with this, my friend's, my girlfriend's best friend who, he's who he, side piece. he's got a side piece, who he knows, he knows this girl. And I'm like, no way. The dude's worth way too much money. He'll, you know, this is going to get out in the press. There's no way he's like doing this in Seattle. I've only been in Seattle for like three hours and I already know that Bill Gates is cheating on his wife. Like, no way. Come on. And he's a tech guy. You know, he's in the scene and his girlfriend is too. And his girlfriend's friend is too. And I, this might even be the same girl. I, I, from what I understand, she could have worked at Microsoft for all I know. Anyway, so they tell me the story. And the reason they're so sure about it is because my buddy allowed not his girlfriend and her friend together went to Bill Gates house to go swimming in his pool and jacuzzi. And they told the story about they had all they he had all the bathing suits there and everything. And the whole pool house had everything you could need, bathing suits, different sizes and whatnot. It was all ready, all there on the ready. Why does this sound out of the scenes of a Hugh Hefner party? So yeah, because I, you have that much money, you, you can't. I bet your friend is no longer with that girlfriend, right? I don't know. But because th- this was th- this was many years ago. This was Jesus. What year was this? 2001 ish, something like that. And oh, uh, there's been 20 cents. <laughs> and the so, my I'm now talking to the girl. She was on the phone with her friend. They get off the phone. She, the my buddy's girlfriend jumps in the jacuzzi with us. So I'm like, So, what's what's this? Your what's going on? This Bill Gates thing. She goes, Oh, yeah, I went over to his house with my friend and he's dating my friend now. I'm like, Get out of here. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah. We went over to his house. He's got a jacuzzi. He's got a pool. You want to jump? Go down the pool house. We got everything there. Da, 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 da. It's like, get out of here with this nonsense. There's no way this happened. You got this was some dude who looked like Bill Gates. And he said his name is, you know, Bill Gates, the, the fourth or something. It's some, you know, there's got to be some different person with that happens to have the same name or something. And anyway, they're like, no, 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 it was him for sure. I'm like, this this is wild. Anyway. So anyway, I shared that story here five months ago. And then next thing you know, a couple months later, Bill's getting divorced. And now this comes out, this headline today. It's, I don't know, maybe, I mean, she was as serious as a heart attack. I mean, she was there. She was there at the house. And she's like, no, I was in his damn bowl. I was in his jacuzzi with my friend who he is trying to date. And they are now dating. Where's our where's our 70s bow wow music? <laughs> Anyway, about about it, though, I mean, he probably was not pulling women 
until he became the Bill Gates. I know his his dad was Bill Gates as well, but you know, so I you know sometimes I think people get stunted developmentally, you know. So maybe in his mind, he's still that really geeky sixteen year old, but never got the girl. And and so have you seen have you seen them dancing? You know that 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 video clip of them dancing. <laughs> I can only I imagine you, it. I can that's only literally imagine. all. That's literally that's all you. All have you to have see. to see. <laughs> it's all you have to see. Like, can you tweet it out? Oh, I gotta find it. I'm but, screaming uh, right now. Uh, epileptic orgasm is probably the best description. Stop it! <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, stop it! You gotta tweet that out. I you mean, have to. About it. I mean. And, and I, I'm going to say something, it's probably, I mean, it's an overgeneralization, but a lot of the tech geeks, I mean, for as sexy as they may be in many ways, um, it was probably something that they grew into, you know, and so I, I think that I, I don't find it surprising at all, um, not to say that I condone it, but it's kind of like that guy that gets to go back to the high school reunion whenever he wants to say, look at me, I pulled the prom queen and the homecoming queen and your sister. And um, yeah, sewing yeah, his I think it's a bit of an years. Okay, next up is, what do we got here? Bloomberg says they've got sources. Wow. That China is considering asking Tencent and TikTok, Tencent is um, WeChat, the biggest app in all of China. So they're asking WeChat and TikTok and other media companies to let rivals access and display their content in search results. So China may ask Ten Tencent and, allow and others to search WeChat if implemented. It could shake up the online advertising arena. Apps. Absolutely, it would. The Ministry of Industry and Information Technology is debating rules to make hundreds of millions of articles on WeChat available via searches, search engines like Baidu's People Familiar with the Matter Said. That's wild. It also considering making short videos from TikTok show up in searches. One of the people said regulators are polling companies for feedback and it's unclear whether they will go ahead. If implemented, the policy decision would mark a significant advance in Beijing's campaign to break down barriers among China's Internet giants, especially Alibaba and Tencent. The watchdog has already warned tech companies to open their so-called walled gardens by allowing links to rival services, part of a broader push to root out illegal activity across the world's largest Internet arena. Forcing ByteDance and Tencent to allow Baidu and other rivals to display their social media content in internet searches would be unprecedented. It could divert advertising revenue away from services like uh, WeChat and TikTok toward search engines like Baidu. The process would be tantamount to U.S. regulators requiring Facebook to open up public posts on WhatsApp and to Google searches, for instance if the U.S. messaging service supported public-facing accounts. Baidu, which is the Google of China, the search engine, climbed as much as 4.3% in the afternoon in Hong Kong, as on, on in related to the news. Yeah, that would be wild. That would be really peculiar. You could use Google to search for Instagram and Facebook content or WeChat 
content, for example, it's kind of weird and it's kind of odd what's really uh, the motive there. So the next one is a company called Deal, spelled D-E-E-L, which provides tools for payroll compliance and other services to help remote hiring. So payroll compliance and remote hiring, that whole headache, raises a $425 million at a $5.5 billion valuation. I bet this company's barely a couple years old. This is a very new type of solution, post-COVID solution. Now that we've got this boom of remote working, remote hiring, and you need specialized tools to handle payroll, com- legal compliances, and and remote hiring services, and this does it all in, in, in one fell swoop, For and they've raised $425 million at a $5.5 billion valuation. Makes a lot of sense. That's a, there's a huge... Huge need and opportunity there. So the next one from the Financial Times, they say they've done some analysis which shows that Apple's search ads now account for what they mean by Apple search ads is when you are in your Apple app store looking for a new app to download, when you might go search for Snapchat, because you heard that there's this hot new app called Snapchat and you want to download it and you search for Snapchat, of course, and then you see Snapchat. But right above Snapchat, there's a new ad. And that ad is an ad for TikTok. And people are downloading TikTok in that scenario. Oh yeah, I've heard about that too. Let me download that too. And if you were downloading some new, you know, calendar app, and or or a smart alarm clock or some nonsense like that, then some alarm clock might pay to to be the top listed ad uh, at the top of the list. And the point is that Apple is now tripled its revenue in the past six months, three hundred percent growth. It's gone from fifty eight percent or from seventeen percent last year. Uh, an extra $5 billion in ad business. And guess where that money's coming from? Guess who used to get that money? Well, if you look at the chart in this article that I'm now tweeting to the Tech News Twitter account, you will know exactly whose milkshake they are drinking in this game. And it is Facebook. This money is coming directly out of Facebook's uh, into into Apple's. Uh, ecosystem. So the next one, a Berlin-based mobile banking startup called N26 raises a $900 million at a $9 billion valuation and says it has 7 million clients in 25 countries. Fintech startup N26, a neobank, has raised all the money. That represents a big jump from the company's last valuation at $3.5 billion. Yep. That's nearly a 3x increase. It's huge. These neobanks are booming, booming, booming. The next one is from Bloomberg. That Australian slot machine maker called Aristocrat will acquire British gambling software company Playtech. Who cares? Next one, also Bloomberg. Amazon says it plans to hire 150,000 seasonal staffers, around 50% more than last year. 
with an average. Tyler, can I go back? Is 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 I I know the gambling space well. It's uh-huh. very big deal in the gambling space. That uh-huh. acquisition you just announced. Okay. 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 Just to say. Just to say. Okay. Aristocrat versus WMS is a big deal, right, Ken? Well, no, Aristocrat is a, the competitor for WMS, but Playtech is a very big deal in online gambling. They're, they're the underlying platform that a lot of online gambling places use, particularly in Europe. They're much bigger deal in Europe than they are in the United States. So, so it's it's a significant acquisition. We're, we're in an industry that's relatively small, so it doesn't sound big to people who don't know it, because you know every every player is relatively small compared to Microsoft or Facebook. You know. Okay. One other detail on this Apple ads thing is what's kind of interesting about it. And I think it was Ken who pointed this out when we met eight, nine hours ago, was that this really kicked off when Apple changed their operating system to 14.5, which limited a lot of the data that Facebook used to get. And they said, oh, we're doing all of this for your privacy. It's all about your privacy. It's all all of these changes we're making in the operating system. It's all about your privacy. When in reality, they knew it was cutting the cookie trail to the likes of Facebook and whatnot, and that it would pour lots of money. And then they're, they're ramping up their ad network just as Facebook's ad network is being booted out the door due to the fact that they cut the, the cookie trail. So while they're claiming this is all about your privacy, your your sweet, sweet, sweet privacy, because you're God knows you're so freaking important. And yet, in reality, it's about them making billions of dollars um, now that they're doing this. So the next one is Amazon says its plans to hire 150,000 seasonal staffers around 50 percent more than 2020. With a with a average wage of fifteen dollars, up from three thousand and up to a three thousand dollar signing bonus. As the industrial athlete that you are, you're going to get a a signing bonus. You know, like you're joining the goddamn Yankees. So that's fantastic. That industrial athletes are going to get. I wonder if they can be traded. Get your own trading cards. Alibaba, Alibaba. Just real quick on that. The back would have like how many uh, trucks you've loaded. Yeah. How many times you've been to the. Oh yeah, that'd be amazing. Oh my god. I just think it's really interesting that they're doubling down on their staffing given the supply chain issues, right? So, so maybe they know something that we don't know, or maybe they have other workarounds. But, you know, my understanding to solve the problem for sure. I can't wait for Clearly. this season two Clearly. of Squid Game yes. where they where they start working at an Amazon fulfillment center. <laughs> the Amazon, the Amazon. It's all about the Amazon. Have you have you guys seen that meme where it says, you know, should I go to Target and buy the bottle of soap or should I click yet? Should I click buy and start the twenty five mile chain of human suffering? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so next up, yeah, hundred fifty thousand seasonal staffers at 15 bucks an hour well you might have all of those hollywood um folks who are planning to go on strike right during this time Hmm. i think they're gonna just strap all the boxes onto these people's backs and just force them to just manually deliver it at this point 
but they've got to get from China. Or, you know, I mean, the, the ports are clogged. I mean, that's that's the part that I'm stuck on. Um, they're trying their air air operations. Yeah, that's what we I saw that. They are. Saw how that. they're going to so solve maybe it. That's, and I'm, I'm maybe trying to get, to, part I'm of trying to get an Amazon VP on here who runs the uh, air operations. So I'm, I'm, bu- I'm bugging him on LinkedIn. I'll see if we can get him up here. Yeah, they're buying. They have a big war chest to buy up all the planes they need to remove that bottleneck. The next one's from the Wall Street Journal. It says Alibaba's share of China's e-commerce market fell to 51% from 78% as users move from product searches to interactive experiences on rivals. Do you want me to unpack this for you? Yes, you do, because you're you're one of them curious, smart, uh, one of those one of those smart folks who like to know what's going on. I'm going to explain what's going on, and no one else outside of tech news around the world, really is hip to this shit. But here's what I can tell you what's going on. So as the story says, Alibaba, which is like the Amazon of China. It's bigger. Yeah, right. it, it's yeah. massive. I mean, yeah, it's it's in everything. <laughs> think in, in terms of scale right. as well. It's just massive. It's bigger than any, you know, it's one of the biggest companies on the planet. And, and more diversified, yeah. It's just huge. It's tremendous. So... The Alibaba's share of China's e-commerce market used to be 78%. That Alibaba was doing 78% of e-commerce in China. That's a whole lot of rubber dog poops. That's a whole lot of cheesy little widgets and gizmos. My God. Holy cow. Is that a whole lot of, a whole lot of fantastically shiny crap. Now, it's dropped from 78% to 51%. Now, why is that? As users move from product searches, which is what they used to do, and that's when Alibaba was you know, at the peak of 78%, they're moving from product searches to interactive experiences on rivals. And they don't say who the rival is, but I know who the rival is, and most of you who join us every day know who the rival is. It's Pinduoduo. And what are these interactive experiences they're talking about? They're talking about live streaming, where instead of going to Alibaba or Amazon, like today you go to Amazon and it's a static page with a little photo and you can click swipe the photos or click the photos and you see four different angles of the shoe or the shirt or this or the water ski vest or you know, the fire hydrant, whatever it is that you happen to be researching or looking to buy. And that seems like a decent experience. And then you look at the reviews and that's kind of nice. And you're comparing the prices. But what happened in China and what just kicked uh, Alibaba in the in the family jewels is this live streaming thing came along. And everyone, instead of having just a static image carousel of five different angles of that Nike shoe you're looking at, you've now got somebody who knows more about Nike shoes than the people at Nike who make the shoes. Like this person knows everything there is to know about shoes and not just, he probably actually worked at the factory too. The dude who's literally making the shoe at the factory, whose, whose older sister designed most of the shoes for Nike. And just these people who haven't just think of like the very best YouTubers. And he would hold up the shoe that you're, you know, you were looking for on the 
the Amazon type experience. And now you have this whole other option, which is somebody who really knows this stuff way better than anyone should. And is passionate about it, can tell you more about it. It's just, and he's, he, every day they're there sharing more knowledge about shoes. And, you know, it's like the shoe, the shoe queen or the shoe king. And they're just there breaking it down like you've never seen it being broken down before live. It's like a YouTube video, but you can talk with them and be like, hey, can you show me inside the shoe? Can you, can you smell inside? What does it smell like? And they'll answer your question. And they say, by the way, I've got 20 of these left right now. Uh, buy them right now because I don't know when I'll get them again, probably two weeks from now. And But if you want the next five, I've got this. You can get it right now. Just hit the buy button. Boom, boom, boom. And boy, does that work. Holy smokies. That is a game changer. And you're probably thinking, well, that would be kind of cool if it was coming to America. Well, it is. And we've been watching that, that tidal wave rolling across the Atlantic or the Pacific, rather, it's kind of going the wrong way around, actually. That's why it's taken so long to get here. It's actually coming. It went to India first with uh, Shop Shop Me or Me Shop, and then it's rolling, it's rolling uh, heading west. So it is actually coming across the Atlantic from India. The vested, the vested interests here are really strong. They're going to resist it as much as possible, you know. Yeah, but now TikTok... I hope not, because... TikTok I feel just like announced. Zappos couldn't really nail it because they didn't have that element. If you brought that element in, you'd bring people like me who are hesitant to purchase online because we don't have that touch feel experience. And you're bringing that element. You, you nail me. I would and, definitely purchase a shoe if I had that experience online. And it's entertaining, right, Tyler? You were saying, you know, yep. a, a lot of times people just watch this and, you know, yep. the, the hosts get hopped up on meth to, yep. to run 24 hours, 24 seven shows and yep. all this. Yep. 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 It's you're going to Amazon. Yep. Amazon live launched in the U S I don't know if it launched last week, but that's when I saw my first 45 minutes and I literally had to shut down my window because to your point, I mean, we, you know, we've experienced it in Asia for some time now, but you've got these people and this one woman, she's hilarious. You know, I mean, it's about the product. It's about the engagement. She has her own little jingle. She has people off camera that sing with her in harmony. Um, it'll be really interesting to see how it, how it really, you know, takes off in the U.S. or whether it will. Hey, hey, I need to correct yeah. you on, on, on one thing. Yeah. Amazon's revenues and Alibaba's are roughly equal. In fact, Amazon was slightly ahead of Alibaba, but the fiscal years are not exact. So, I mean, but they're so, but they're about above r roughly one hundred and ten million billion dollars in revenue. Both both of them. Really? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, the, but that includes AW. That includes AWS. That includes AWS. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Alibaba. Alibaba has yeah. a cloud, okay, yeah. though. They have a cloud. They have. They have fintech, right? I mean, they have. I mean, they're much more diversified. I think they even have like vehicles, little electric vehicles. I remember seeing in China that were, you know, part of the Alibaba. Yeah, a million, a million vehicle fleet. So it says. I can say that I, I have actually tried the Alibaba cloud for for the services I provided a couple of years ago, and I can say I could find all kind of mysterious network devices in my network that I didn't put there. Yeah, so I would strongly disadvise from using the Alibaba. <laughs> okay, it says making inroads against Alibaba have been rivals, uh, which incorporates online stores into ubiquitous 
uh, app Pindo Duo, a six-year-old e-commerce app that is injected game-like elements into shopping and drawn in bargain hunters with lower-priced goods and TikTok's sister app in China, which is selling products through short videos and live streaming with the help of its algorithms. And so imagine TikTok live shopping where you're going to swipe through live streams of people selling stuff. And I, I'm telling you right now, there's some wildly entertaining, crazy people out there with that are very informative on lots of different products. And um, th- it works. It works really, really well. They make way more money selling this stuff than they do making uh, photos on Instagram or TikTok little 30-second videos. Um, then why not yeah. integrate? Why isn't there Alibaba integration with, or why aren't they adopting that platform? I mean, I guess the same question be asked for how Amazon's doing that, you know, in the United States with more of the live interactive selling or is it just right. part of one? I, I think yeah. be, they just get so big. They're making so much money that they see the smaller one. And until I think because they worry about this is a classic conundrum. I mean, Co- why didn't Kodak pivot when they saw what Instagram was doing, you know, into digital cameras and making a website? And this is just a classic, classic thing where these companies get so huge and so dominant that they you know why uh amazon might not there is is amazon doing live stream shopping already yeah so if you go to amazon there's a live button that's that's what pulled me in last week there's an ikea uh, in america as well yeah 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 it was it was a friend in the u.s who you know, she was just, she was entirely too entertained. And so she shared the link and then I understood why. Yeah. So if you just go to Amazon and you'll see a link that says live. Same on Ikea. Ikea is doing live streaming on Ikea with their own team members showing off one product after another, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Is that where the traction is? Or, or, sorry, Chris, is that where the traction is or more around you know, the influencers, because I, I know like a good friend of mine, her sister uh, is married to one of the very most influential um, former Olympic and, and grand national badminton champions in China and badminton's like a legit thing business. like in China. <laughs> I mean, I know we think of it like backyard sport in the United States, but I mean, it's, it's a, a real deal. And, um, and I know there's been, he was actually starting to do some of this stuff two, three years ago. I don't know on which platforms, um, in, in mainland, but I just think that influencer space has got to be where it's just got the potential is enormous. It's been here a long time. My sense is that, um, Alibaba, um, it has catered more toward the drop shipper, you know, so, and then AliExpress, um, which is kind of a, it's another line that they have that would be more on par with the individual shopper. But, but I, I think part of it to your point, Anne-Marie is the target market. Um, because in my experience, my understanding is that neither really captures, um, the target, you know, consumer, like in her living room in the same way that Amazon might. So the influencers may not have historically had much of a connection in that kind of space, just given 
who their target um, customers. Just to add on to that, Kisha, Alibaba has Alibaba, AliExpress, uh, Taobao, Tmall, and many others. I think they, I'm pretty sure they have Live as well. It's just that probably not as uh, not as uh, trendy as Pinduoduo. Okay, and uh, then, by the way, Tyler, can you check the hand, hand raise? Yeah, Thank I'm you. watching a bunch of IKEA live streams right now that were pre-recorded, and they're they're done in vertical mode, like TikTok style, Instagram style, not in YouTube style. Um, well, because you'd be holding your phone, right? Alexandra says she has thirty six on this. If you can bring her up, okay. So, I mean, everything goes back to the '80s when you think about it. Like, you know, uh, QVC, all the auction type type sites were all kind of generated in the 80s had larger than life characters doing spins and you know yelling and and pointing at things and so it's interesting that as technology you know gets better um, we kind of go back to the 80s because those people really understood how to market really understood human psychology and how to trigger you know the 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 purchase response or, or the commitment response so um, 80s is a good area to study ron propel right Ron Popiel. Oh my yeah. God. Popiel. Yeah. You know, Tyler, I just thought of something. You know, you were talking about how, you know, some some platforms have the super duper experts that are able to answer any kind of technical or spec question that people might have. And I I'm thinking about this woman that I just saw on Amazon Live last week. And she was like probably in her apartment, maybe let's say in her one bedroom apartment, you know, um, with some products and, but she was very relatable. So I, you know, I, I think that there's also opportunity for people who can create engagement and relatability to do well in some of these platforms. I mean, depending again on who the shopper is, I know at Best Buy, you know, we, you know, we we were very mindful that there were lots of really techie people that love to work in the stores, but um, they could really only connect with a certain type of customer. And then, you know, we needed other types of people on the sales floor who can, you know, who could communicate more around lifestyle and needs and can really connect. And, and so I would imagine that in the digital space, um, both of those types of influencers, if you will, have the potential of doing quite well. Yep. So next one up is let's see here, Alibaba. Russian. I have some. Ah, go ahead. I have some information on the um sure. on that stream thing because I really just wanted to know: does it actually result in conversion? That's really all that matters, right? I mean, it doesn't really matter if it's entertaining or whatever. Nobody cares about if people watch it for a longer time unless viewers are your goal. But for most people, viewers are not your goal. Your goal is cash. You want them to buy stuff. So it's actually been around for a while and it's been used in several platforms and gaming and things like that. So it's platform dependent. Um, it does increase user engagement, but then they have a problem where there's a max where suddenly your uh, messaging if you're, or, or chatting or um, that engagement is too many people, right? They have to throttle it down. So, um, so there's, there's limitations on what it does, but it does have it like for certain platforms it actually has um, like it's a 130x increase in sales and a 21% conversion rate. That's enormous, especially for things like gaming and stuff. That's a really, that's a very high, high rate, but it doesn't work on all of them. Some of them have like no conversion. So it depends on like, you know, you can see Nexon and Timon and a bunch of other ones have already done it. 
But I think it's really important to note that it's not like a seamless, easy, like, we'll just pop that on and it'll grow. It'll be great. It's not how it works. So you have to learn how to sell, right? You have to be a good salesperson. You have to be compelling in your argument for why the. And it's not dependent just that, on the product. It's, it's really dependent product. on the product. Well, and, yeah. yeah, and if you're trying to grow engagement, because I've seen it, they've been doing this for a while, and this, like, you know, all of the, the mom, uh, you know, the all, all the, uh, um, what is it called, the multi-level well, marketing things, like Monet, like Monat, the, uh, I'm sorry to throw the name, no, well, the, the shampoo. Well, no, all those, like, like if you do, um, you know, there's like, there's pants and skirts and all this other crap that that gets. that are, um, you know, basically MLM schemes, but, but a lot of women have been doing this on Facebook for a long time. And, um, and depending on how, how the engagement builds, it's about the engagement, right? Like it, it's not, it's not a one-way thing. It's not QVC or whatever. Then you have to exactly. hire special people. Yeah. But if you're going to actually get engagement, it has to be, there's like a, a minimum and a maximum size. And most people didn't pay attention to any of that. And their conversion rates were actually terrible. The only thing that it really helped aside from engagement is clothes. You want to see how they look on. So you have people of a variety of different shapes that are, you know, that you're looking for, like kids, adults, whatever your market is, having them try it on and know that it's not Photoshopped. That's actually a very useful use case. Everything else requires very interactive engagement within this band of people, right? Like not too many and not too, not too few. Communities are really hard thing to scale. And that's what you're trying to do here is build community and convert community into cash. Tyler, the, yeah. I, I just find an article from April um, from uh, South China Morning Post. Alibaba's Taobao Life reports over US $60 billion in GMV that's in right. 2020 I was just say that. as China intensifies scrutiny on live streaming e-commerce. So, yeah, they have yeah, it. So the ROI is there for sure. Yep. Dr. Francine, were you going to say something? Oh, she's on a call, so maybe not. Yeah, I love her new profile picture. So there's a new interview with Amazon's senior vice president of devices about the new Amazon robot called Astro, about making money from Alexa and working with other parts of the Amazon empire. And... Yeah, it's actually a podcast. How long is it? It's... Yeah, we don't know how long. It's like a 30-minute podcast. And um, so if you want to know kind of more insidery stuff about the new robot... Colin? Yeah? Did Colin Powell just die? Yes. Yeah, we talked about it earlier. Yeah. Oh my God! I'm sorry. I didn't. I interrupted. I just saw that news several hours ago. But yes, oh, you said it when the the room opened. Sorry. I'm sorry. Please continue. I didn't mean to. I was just shocked. I just read it. I think everyone's a little bit shocked. At least those that um, have really been sort of just following his career as well. And that's why I asked about Justin. Where's Justin? There's now, according to Financial Times, nine UK schools start taking payments for lunches by scanning students' faces, claiming that the system speeds up the process and is more COVID safe. How scanning their faces? What yeah. do they? What? What? Wait! What are they wearing on their face? Nothing. 
It's facial recognition. Facial yeah. recognition. Yeah. That we're on the screen. Okay. So, like, basically, like your iPhone sort of setup. You write your. Of you write, no, no, no. I may. You write your. Account. Basically. You write your Bitcoin account right on your forehead. And just... <laughs> <laughs> Is it like at the airport where they ask them? The kids have to because they're all masked, right? I mean, I guess yeah. they're going in the lunchroom, so they're going to take their masks down to eat anyway. But. Is that like, hey, take your mask down, scan your face, put your yeah, mask Yeah, we back scan on. you and you pay. But what if the scanner doesn't read your face correctly? What no, happens then? Um, Charles actually mentioned this before. It doesn't really matter whether you have mask on or not. They will still be able to recognize it. So the next one is that Bloomberg has internal documents. Someone's leaking more juicy data out of Netflix. This that happened last week about the Chappelle a special and it's happening again although perhaps the same person we don't know that person got fired who leaked it last time uh but netflix who's, estimates who's the author this time same author of both the same article same author from the yeah. article last week lucas shaw i'm going back to target this is being tar- they're being targeted the uh, netflix uh oh you mean the leakers being targeted Correct. You you think the leakers being targeted? They're testing people. They're testing people. This is a larger story. I remember I mentioned that the leaker would never have done that without some coercion. Right. And now we're seeing more coming out. So I think this is going to get a whole lot murkier before we see. So there could be another firing as a result of this new. By the way, both of those pieces, both of those pieces of information that was quote unquote leaked. In Ken and I debate on this, but it's possible that they actually don't mind so much flaunting the fact that, you know, Squid Game is just fucking yep. dominating. It, that it's creating $900 million in value for Netflix. It only costs. Well, like I was saying, so what, what they would normally publicize is like that it's the number one show because they kind of released it by their own metrics what they considered the most viewed shows, even though Netflix. Um, uh, data that they use for that typically that they define a watch show as you've watched it for two minutes. All the uh, so the people who you know right, but the the more data that got released in the Bloomberg article, which is how many watched it for sixty minutes, how many how many watched the entire series and binged it, all of that usually is never released. And so what we were discussing is they don't like a lot of these more detailed metrics out there because they don't want to give. Um, information to the talent to how to negotiate their deals. And that's number one. And number two, they don't want their uh, streaming competitors to, to know anything either. Um, so it's a very competitive market. So, yeah, yeah, I, I truly believe that they don't want most of that, that, that data out there. That's my belief. I'm going to disagree with you, Ken, in that I'm going to quote one of our favorite, you know, clubhouse villains, Greg Duffy, it's never be out indicated, right? And right now, as a, as a studio, you're competing not only for consumers, but you're competing for content creators. And by flexing and showing, hey, look, we have this level of engagement, we can pay this much. You know, this is Netflix doing the ultimate flex here. But, but they already know this that is Chris, our Chris, 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 they already outbid for talent, everybody in Hollywood. So I know, so, but this so, is the public. You want the public saying, hey, you work for Netflix? Oh, my God. Like, I want to know. I, I, no, I don't think it works. Like, no, I'm pretty sure it doesn't work. Well, like look, at, look like, like, tell somebody you work at Facebook. I would right say now. it works. Not Thanksgiving. Everybody knows Netflix is big. 
and and they don't need this data out there. I'm just saying that they don't. I, I, do I agree with that. Died, to be honest with you, Ken, like three weeks ago, if you said who's the leading streamer, I would have said uh, Disney is. Like, like, and and then we would have, I would have lost. I would have been wrong. But it's they're not top of mind right now. They're not sexy. They're the they're the they're the established. They're well, the old all the streamers, by the way, just to be you know factual here. All the streamers do release um, uh, user data in terms of how many subscribers and stuff like that. So everyone knew who the bigger big, bigger uh, streamer was. It, it's not it's not like a secret that Netflix is bigger than Paramount Plus. I mean, because everybody, all, all of them release you know those numbers. So, you know. but we we don't need to debate this because we will know the answer to this quite soon. Because the last time, not that long ago, four days ago. Uh, Lucas Shaw at uh, what's the publication? My my brain fog. You Bloomberg. Bloomberg wrote the piece about the Chappelle data, and the source of who from Netflix who provided that was very quickly fired for that. And now, the Lucas is writing this new piece for Bloomberg about the data for Squid Game. And if it turns out that that person gets fired, then we'll know. I, I think uh, Netflix employees will be very hesitant to leak any more data henceforward, um, especially to Lucas, <laughs> Lucas Shaw at Bloomberg. So we'll see. It's interesting to me that Lucas is getting all of the tidbits here. And just to be clear, this was a pregnant transgender woman that leaked it that got fired? Mm -hmm. No, Initially, yes, so, but we don't they, know about this one. We, we, I don't know that she herself is transgender, except that she was kind of yeah. leading the on the committee or something. Like that. Yes. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Well, she might be, but uh, but she was kind of leading the walkout. Which, which, by the way, that's going to be in the headlines as soon as that walkout does happen, and we'll likely see a photograph about that. Uh, that could happen apparently, like Wednesday. The but yes, the person and got that—that's that's someone in the back it, channel said. Makes watch, it, the, watch the photos because someone will be pregnant. And you know who it is. Yeah, but that—that's what makes <laughs> it so weird. Is that the person who oh, got fired name. was also organizing the walkout that's scheduled for this week or whatever, and and is pregnant. Uh, just it's a there's some weird shit going on there. There might they might be having their own they squid game going on at Netflix as well. Uh, I'm rereading the article, but it doesn't say that they are transgender themselves, but they are on that committee. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Google's... Google sent 50,000 warnings to users on government back hackings. Yeah, we read that last week. And now we get into the tweets. We went through the big, boring headlines. And now the fun tweets and uh, media and see. Okay, yeah. Well, no, let me let me hit refresh on that page and let's see if there's any new news since we started. Mm, what to expect from Google's Pixel 6 event on Tuesday? Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro with Tensor custom system on a chip, improved cameras, bigger batteries, and more colors. Okay, so that's tomorrow's live stream, by the way. 
And that, yeah, that covers all the big headlines. So now we get into the tweets. I like this one from Saudamini Kumar that Apple offers a 20% bonus in India for adding money to Apple ID as the tech giant is asking developers to promote payments using Apple ID balance. Apple's now giving a 20% bonus to Indian users who add funds to their Apple IDs. Yeah. Users are being notified of a 20% bonus when adding funds to an Indian Apple ID account. According to Apple. Hey, Vinay, what's, what's the penetration of Apple in India? Isn't it dismal? Real small, 3%. Yeah, it's pretty low. It's like... Uh... Three percent or two percent, ridiculously yeah. low. Two or three. Maybe there'll be more with so many unicorns. Okay. No, there'll be more. There's still Samsung and the buy now, pay later, all of that stuff. Uh, I don't think Apple's penetration is going to increase dramatically. Paytm, all those other ones. Yeah, as I mean, Google Pay is huge. I would say Paytm and Google Pay are the two biggest. Uh, and Bharat's and Bharat. Bharat. And have you been talking about what a horrible year Google Pay had and how it has decided not to, to chicken its banking yeah. plans? Yeah, they, the headline that we read about that a month or so ago was that it was the person, the strongest advocate or champion for that internally stepped down. And then about a week later, we read a follow-up headline that, you know, due to the loss of the kind of the main instigator, um, they're scaling scaling back their plans. Uh, yeah, and the one I sent you this morning was that they had completely abandoned their bank plan. Okay, next up, here we go, is from Craig Nielsen. It says from the Wall Street Journal, and Dr. Fran, I'm glad you're here for this one. Teen girls are developing tics and not the animals. They're like facial tics, movement disorders. Doctors say TikTok could be the factor. Wall Street Journal. Yes. Teen yes. girls are TikTok is contagious. Well, it's I'm why they didn't do a clever word putting the tick in tiktok but we yeah put, yeah tiktok tick ting ting girls are developing ticks from tiktok doctors say could be a factor and it certainly seems to have a very strong correlation and it's by the way here's what's weird about it tiktok is global yet thus far it's the the ex the, the the hospitals that are noticing this are exclusively in, in the America. America, Canada, Australia, UK, which is has a combined intelligence agency called the Five Eyes program. And what's going on? Why are can it, be, can, can it be the weaponized crickets? No. And I, I don't really, uh, Tyler, I don't really think it has to do with uh, the conspiracy theory of the five eyes. I think it has to do with the, the countries that are most affected are the same exact countries that are most affected by the eating disorder propaganda that's on TikTok and by the um, 
you know, all the transgender stuff too, because there is clearly a real reason for people to be transgender. They generally know that from childhood, but somebody who's 17 years old and decides that all of a sudden they're a male when they've been a female all their life, that's more seeing stuff. And, and so the countries that you're talking about are people that for some reason, psychologically are more susceptible to the kind of propaganda that's going out on TikTok. And this is just the newest thing because I watch TikTok. I, you know, I don't have an account, so I just flip through the For You page. And there are a lot of people that are doing this Tourette stuff. And, you know, I've worked in behavioral health my whole life. Is it authentic? It's really hard to tell whether it is or not. But I notice that these people get a gazillion followers and a lot of likes. So that's very attractive to these. These are very impressionable young women. So why are young you women? You know, that's interesting because Tourette's used to be grounds for people unfriending you and staying away from you. Precisely. Because you're behind. It's got cachet now, though, Francine. Wow. It's got cachet. It's all the rage now. Well, oh wait a second. God. Is this because of, like, didn't Billie Eilish, like, there's some people who are celebrities who've said that they have Tourette's. I think this whole thing is pretty appalling, honestly, because there are people who genuinely suffer. It's painful. Exactly. There are lots of diseases that actually cause, you know, uncontrollable motion, and they're all seizures also and difficult. So I'm not, you know, even whether it's language or, or muscle twitching or whatever it is. I mean, I don't really know where these parents are, but this is this is pretty ridiculous that they're. I mean, it's if it, if they're basically doing it as an act. Um, or putting it on as something that is, uh, you know, just for entertainment value or for like value. I mean, I th honestly think you should be kicked off a platform for doing something like that. That's really- Alexandra, cool. it's not necessarily an act. I think that these people's personalities are so malleable that they take this stuff on. Um, the same way my dear departed mother used to come back from Europe with a British accent. Um, you know, it's just it's just something that that they're very susceptible to that kind of manipulation. So it happens. Why, why they honestly we... believe themselves to have the disorders. OK, I can get that. But why would they why would young ladies be watching people with Tourette's? How did they first get exposed to that? Where like, you know what? You know what sounds hot? That's what it's on the free. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, Bill, I think Billie Eilish says that she has it. There are other like celebrities that appeal to young women, if that's what they're doing, right? There are celebrities that appeal to young women who claim to have some of these issues. Yeah, but have, having a facial tick is a not a aesthetically pleasing thing to have. Yeah, or is it because those short TikToks but, actually have a lot of repeated repeated actions on their face or whatever? Because you know Adam the short, short short TikTok are a bit strange, right? You know, I don't Adam know. Curry has suffered with and struggled with Tourette's all his life, and it has it has some other strange consequences, which is he comes out with swear words when he didn't mean to. So it's it's a it is some kind of, and I'll defer to you, Dr. Fran, but I've listened to him enough on the No Agenda show to know that it's a, some kind of neurodiverse uh, condition exactly. that has something to do with epilepsy. Yes, and, and it's very treatable with some of the, um, you know, the, the addictive anti-anxiety drugs and things like that. Um, but it is it is um, neurogenic and um, 
but I think that I think what we're talking about here is a susceptible, you know, because there are I don't if you watch TikTok, there are these young girls with these legs that are like splinters and everybody is like, oh, you poor dear, eat something. And they, you know, they're just not getting it, but they get so much attention that other girls start copying it. But so I guess the question is, did they have an account on their account previously? Did they not? display any of this disorder and they display it now, which would maybe lend lend credence to the fact that it is not natural. On the other hand, there could be a bias so that there's uh, the the reason we're seeing them now is because now it's become more uh, mainstream to it's more acceptable. So now we're just seeing them more because they feel more comfortable being on the air and not editing out what actually happens. So it could be either way. We're just, it's, you know, sometimes it's just because we, we are more amenable. Um, so people are more free to, to display whatever characteristics they naturally have. We, we just naturally mirror the things we see, you know, my, my, my little three-year-old boy watches this show called Blippy and it's this 40 year old guy dancing around like a jumping around like an, an idiot, quite frankly. And he makes these faces all the time. And I see it in my son, like he'll, he'll laugh and he'll, he'll make these faces, the exact same face that Blippi makes. And it's just, I believe it's this mimicry that we naturally do um, as, a, as our quest to conform to whatever the community is that we're trying to be part of. Yeah. Well, but I there think that, something, something in the brain called mirror neurons. That that's, yeah. Those are, they don't look at palsied people and act palsied in, you know, on camera. That's not, that's not what they do. Like young kids, sure, two to four, sure. But, um, but this age range, which I believe uh, said was 11 to 17, that that's deliberate. That that's not, that's not a natural mimicry. Cause I mean, they, you know, you don't, you don't pretend that your leg doesn't work because you see somebody without a, you know, like that has a, um, you know, a prosthetic or something. It doesn't. But if that, but if that leads to the dopamine that you're craving, the dopamine that, you know, admittedly all of us are becoming addicted to through these devices, couldn't that be just a pathway for you to get the dopamine and therefore, you know, somebody, somebody ping in a neurologist because this is somewhere. (laughs) No, this has something to do with neurons. Yesterday we had one on stage at health news around the world. Uh, by the way, Tyler, I just, uh, Googled TikTok and Tourette's, uh, the list came out and I already DM to you. You can take a look. Can I just say, I wish any medical appointment was like that, where you could just look, let's just ping in a neurologist into this right now. (laughs) Let's, let's just, let's just ping in like orthopedics. It'll be great. Well, with telehealth, I think that's where it's going, right? Sultan's automatic. So far, I haven't. But imagine you had to pay two doctor's fees then, because I know what the healthcare system's like other places, not in the UK. Okay. John Mattis. Pam, Pam. So, a YouTuber was arrested today by police for allegedly distributing fake pornographic videos of many celebrities using deep fakes. And so it looks like it's a young woman who was doing it. And it's not in English. Oh, it's in Taiwan, apparently. Yeah. Was that from you, Bibi? Okay. So next up uh, is this one from... Nalormi from The Guardian, the the biggest annual event 
for climate change is where all of the world's leaders join. It's like the UN for climate change. It's called COP. COP. And then each year they add a number. So there was, I believe it was COP21 in Paris five years ago when they did the big Paris agreement. Somebody can correct me on that. And then they had COP22 a year later, and then COP23, 24, 25. And now we're at COP26, which is scheduled to happen in um, Glasgow, I believe. Yes. And the Guardian headline says that COP26, which is ready to happen any day now, that the COP26 corporate sponsors condemn the climate summit as mismanaged. And the Guardian says they have an exclusive. It's a, and here's the quote. Everything feels very last minute, says one source about events sponsored by UK's biggest companies. And indeed, it's like tremendous, some tremendously huge companies that are behind this event, like uh, uh, Microsoft, Glasgow, SmithKline and Unilever. Yeah, those are three of the world's biggest companies right there. So companies that stumped up millions of pounds to sponsor the COP26 climate summit have condemned it as mismanaged and very last minute and a volley of complaints as next month's event in Glasgow draws near. The sponsors, which include some of Britain's biggest companies, have raised formal complaints blaming very inexperienced civil servants for delayed decisions, poor communication and breakdown in relations between the organizers and firms in the run-up to the landmark talks. The Guardian understands that a letter to the organizers in May, written by a broadcaster, Sky, and co-signed by senior leaders from COP26 sponsors, raised concerns over plans for the event, followed by another co-signed letter in recent weeks. The UK is running its COP26 presidency from within the cabinet office under the leadership of the former business secretary, who is the COP26 president, and the businessman Nigel Topping, who has appointed the government's high-level climate action championship last year. Sponsorship is expected to be held to help defray a policing bill estimate to reach up to 250 million pounds. Holy snikes, that's a lot of money. Quarter of a billion. I I produce events professionally for a living for over a decade. That's a that's a un unimaginable amount of money for an event. Alongside, and it just, that's the amount of money for a building. <laughs> well, and I mean, couldn't it have been used toward mitigation? You know? but, but hang on, hang on. But that, Tyler, I don't know. I just tweeted you an article. Uh, just look at it. Twenty five thousand people at this year's COP. Summit, yes. twenty five thousand people. Yeah, I'm going. Uh, many of my friends are hosting twenty five thousand. I'm going to a twenty five thousand person event next in two weeks from now, and another one four weeks from now. Both tech events. Both of their budgets are about a million a year. I mean, that's like a hundred thousand per guest. I think I'm. I'm not. I'm not able to do the math right now. But two fifty by twenty five thousand. Two hundred fifty million. I mean. It's really weird. So the, uh, it says one source employed by a COP26 sponsor said that the biggest frustration was the lack of information about how the event will run and the role for its key backers because important questions have gone unanswered and planning decisions have been delayed. 
they had an extra year to prepare for COP due to COVID, but it doesn't feel like this time was used to make better progress. Everything feels last minute. The upcoming climate talks concerned the last chance to put the world on track to meet its climate ambitions are due to take place in early November after the event was postponed by a year because of COVID. They've already thrown in term, been thrown into turmoil by suggestions that Chinese President Xi Jinping will skip the event, threatening the chances of a global pact with the world's biggest carbon dioxide emitter. Organizers of COP26 promised sponsors an outstanding opportunity and unique benefits in exchange for their support, including a chance to promote their brands at the conference's Green Zone exhibition space and the participation of government ministers at their events. But in multiple emails and official letters, the companies have complained to organizers about unmet expectations and deepening concerns over delays to the Green Zone plans. They have also raised concerns about the ministers have not always been available for their events in the run-up to COP26, as agreed as part of the sponsor deals. And other sources have described the shifting goalposts and inertia plaguing the COP26 planning as deeply frustrating. I think beyond that, you know, I, I, I guess I'm kind of reflecting on some of the... Um, feedback and criticism that, you know, um, that the World Economic Forum, as an example, you know, has received in the past, you know, when climate had been at the center of the forum's agenda, and then you had all of these billionaires flying in on their private jets and these heads of state. And, and so when I think about the mission of, of, the, of, of COP, um, it's, it's surprising to me that the organizers would have allowed it to get to be that size, you know? So I've been to conferences of 10,000 people and um, even that is a lot. Maybe I've been to conferences of 20 or 25, but I, I think that, you know, there's so many unintended consequences, particularly as it relates to travel and climate and, you know, um, resource allocation as it relates to, you know, food supply and, and utility costs and, you know, the emissions that are, you know, um, produced during these types of large-scale events that I'm just, I'm more surprised that the organizers did not have a, a stronger reign in terms of who was absolutely necessary to be there and to be at the table and who might be able to participate remotely, especially given that we've all been remote for almost a couple of years now. The, the, well, there's a whole other point, which is, this is the annual event where the world leaders come together and try and make shit happen. And the Paris agreement was like the most notable thing they've ever been able to make happen. And it's, it's getting more and this issue of climate, you know, crisis is getting more and more intense and needs more and more attention and detail and consideration and action so this event is the place where that e that action is supposed to transpire. So this is no ordinary fumbling of any ordinary event. You could have the World Series or the Super Bowl or whatever your big name a big event. Can can you name an event that potentially has the responsibility such a such an incredible responsibility? 
I mean, it's so important that like in here in Clubhouse, we're already discussing what we're going to try to do for COP27, right? And, and like to think that they didn't figure it out for this one is really kind of unnerving. I know that Cam that visits regularly, I think is going to be speaking there. So if he ends up popping in, I'll, you know, we'll see if he's got any insight, Tyler. Sure. But I'm just lamenting the fact that this is like the official opportunity, annual opportunity to actually make huge change. And please make note, this is a year of unprecedented fires across Greece, Italy, uh, Turkey, Entire, t- entire resort towns being decimated or evacuated. We Did we not see those videos? Did I imagine all that shit? California, Oregon, the, the... I mean, I think, I think that's really the heart of it, though, Tyler, is that because we're getting struck by so many, you know, world-changing events, you know, you didn't even touch upon water stress, which is another huge thing. So you have water stress, global warming, fires, food, you right. know, you name it. And, so- and like... So I think everyone's just scrambling, to be honest. That's that's the sentiment I have in those rooms. When you go into the room, right, like one person will say, I want to do this, and another person will go a totally different direction so, because all of the fires are just as dangerous, right? And now we have 10 of them. So check this out. I got I to gotta share this. So I did a podcast recently, which some of you have listened to, and I think Ken and I know Cheryl has a few others, where I talk about precisely this. Do I do not? about why I'm in Thailand, and I say, I tell the story to my friend of precisely how I produced a huge event like this for, it was about 6,000 people, on a last-minute decision, honestly, that, hey, I'll throw this together, I'll bring all of my startup community folks together, and, and tech investors and, and innovators and problem solvers together with the politicians and ministers and NGOs and uh foundations and you know government agencies and i invited my regular folks that's easy in fact they were already going to be there because i was doing a techie big conference anyways and i added an extra day all about this green tech un global goals sdgs blah 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 and i brought in a whole bunch of big folks and the un secretary general and the whole shebang the whole rigmarole right and boy Oh, boy, did I realize in doing that how ensnared in red tape and bureaucracy that whole universe is. And in in working with them to get them to come to the event and be on stage and blah, 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 and blah, 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 and oh, my dear sweet Jesus, did it become painfully clear to me these jackasses are going to drive our Titanic right into the iceberg Full speed. Because they argue about what they want in the green room instead of how we solve Correct. the big problem. No, no, no. They I mean, can't even is... they can't even agree on what where the green which I can't be in yeah, that. Yeah, which green room is the you, green You can't room put me in that green room. You got who's in a green no, room? My, Fi my, on on I need to be on the same floor as this other person who has their green room there. And I'm I'm just like, oh my sweet Jesus. So now the fact that this event, the main event to make this shit happen might not even fucking happen. Do you understand how important this event is? And they can't even get the shit together to, to make this happen. Do do you have you, do you still have any faith in the nincompoops that are supposed to be saving the planet? Do you go to sleep at night thinking, ah, they got it taken care of. 
They so, got this. They got this. They got this all taken care of. They can't even get their annual event to talk about it in a critical year together. We are going to hit the fucking iceberg. They're literally going to accelerate into the iceberg. That's what's happening. That's actually what's happening. We are accelerating our CO2 usage into the atmosphere. We're not reducing. We're accelerating. In We see the iceberg. It's over the horizon now. It's no longer on the other end of the horizon. It's now in view. And we saw it and we're like, right, speed up. Hit that fucker square on. Let's try and break that Greenland-sized piece of ice with our fucking rinky-dink plastic boat here. That's what's happening. And you should be saying to yourself, where's the lifeboats? Where's the life jackets? Where's the flare guns? Somebody teach me to swim in really cold water. Right now. That's what you should be saying to yourself right now. When you read headlines that COP26 is in topsy-turvy. Hello. You got to take the ball like Tyler did, everybody. Like that. Hello from yeah. Thailand and my fully off-grid, solar-powered, unfuckable situation. And as I said oh, in my I'm friend's so podcast, jealous. there are people with fuck you money who are going to get royally fucked. Because they did not take the time to rewild themselves. And they're just a little too comfortable in their domesticated cat little plushy cushion palace. Because they go to the supermarket and the food is there. And that's the domesticated cat version of, you know, meow, meow, meow. Put food in my bowl, please. Meow, meow, meow. And then you go to the supermarket. There's the food. Well, guess what? Mom and dad ain't going to come home. That food ain't going to be. The, the shelves are already starting to get very bare in many places. That's already More happening. Expensive. Hold on tight, y'all. I've been screening this for a while. Tyler, you know how we were talking about the power of tight um, networks earlier, right? So when Clubhouse was was small, it was tight. The 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 networks were that much richer. Um, I, I you know I I feel as though, and I'm in my humble opinion, that the organizers they went about this completely wrong. I mean, it does not take twenty five thousand registered participants, and you know all of the journalists and everyone else that wants to be in that space to actually make change happen. I think that there would have been more accountability if it were done at a smaller scale with the decision makers at the table, because now what what's going to happen is that you're going to have a lot of people reading prepared remarks that are not necessarily about action a lot. I mean, I just, I just sat in on a UNDP um, call out of Rome last week and of the, I don't know, three and a half hours or so that I was there, there were probably four panelists that actually had something tangible to say. And, you know, it's really interesting because it was around climate and they were, they were actually um, large Italian companies who were um, the CEOs were talking about the initiatives that they had done. So they were not people from the development space. But I, I just I I suspect that there are just going to be a lot of sessions with people reading their papers, saying all of the right buzzwords. But a conference of twenty five thousand people is not where action happens per se. Um, 
maybe you get to bump into someone at a coffee shop or in the hallway outside of the main conference room. But um, yeah, I, I, I just, unfortunately, I don't, I don't think that this is it. Well, if especially they, if time is not going to be at the table, if they all have to plant 10 trees on, on their way in to the venue, <laughs> then, then you're actually doing shit instead of talking shit. And the problem is they become prof yeah. professional shit talkers. Is the problem they've made That's a career their yes. out of talking and not That's doing their living, Tyler. And, and Tyler or John did the math. It's ten thousand per person in, in costs. I mean, what is that like? In, what is that like in a developing world? What is te what would ten thousand dollars per person do in a developing world? Yeah, I mean, it's oh so much for mitigation and. Yeah, I mean, I would be really interested to see if there was someone who was calculating the carbon footprint of every attendee or, or of the event as a whole. You know, I mean, I think I that these are the care. types of these are the types of um, analyses that need to be done, particularly when that's the mission of this particular gathering. Right. We it's got to take the G650 because of COVID. You know, I mean, I know there I know it. I know it's a private jet that only takes 12 of us, but. With COVID and all, you know, we bought, we got to take the Gulf Stream this time, you know, and, and we got to take six of them. Wow. Great priorities. Okay. Next up uh, from Ken, the Wall Street Journal says that Facebook plans to hire 10,000 workers in the EU to build up the metaverse. The question is where? Traditionally, that would be in Dublin. But uh, now with every all the taxes being the same, uh, the, Ireland just agreed to the flat, I believe it's 15% corporate tax for all the big tech. So it would be interesting to see where, where those 10,000 jobs materialize in Europe. And BB sends in this one from South China Morning Post that Foxconn, which makes a lot of Apple products, it's the factory that makes the products, or assembles them, Foxconn launches three made-to-order electric vehicles, or what they're calling EV concepts. Foxconn, again, one of the world's very biggest uh, hardware manufacturers, is among the technology companies targeting EVs as a source of growth beyond low-margin electronics assembly. So do they have what it takes to make cars? That's a very interesting question. Uh, and But they just did this big announcement, and the three vehicles that they are proposing are kind of interesting. Um, I just tweeted it to the Tech News Twitter account, I believe. Did I? I did. And it appears one of them is called the Model C and the Model T, which it looks like a bus. It is a bus. It's like a classic European bus. Uh, for like a city bus for people to, you know, move citizens to work and back. And and then there's another one in the middle. Looks like a the, the Model C looks like a very economic car, like a like a Honda or a Toyota Prius or something. And so you got that and the bus and then like a really juicy sports car. Hey, Tyler, can I make a quick comment on this global corporate tax thing. Sure. Um, two things. One, one is 
just because everyone's agreed to the rate doesn't actually mean that you'll have equalized rates because effective rates, because, you know, they're just talking about the rate based on taxable income, but no one's talking about what deductions and credits and other things that create, you know, what your taxable income is. And I haven't heard, read anything that there's been any agreement to make that stuff universal, but also the, the shifting of, uh, your income to Ireland to get lower taxes is more of a paperwork shuffle with like patents and stuff. I don't think you have to actually shift massive numbers of employees, uh, you know, under the current system in order to to do that. It's mostly a paperwork shuffle, as I understand it. Hmm. The double Irish with a Dutch sandwich. Okay. I don't think it's going to be effective. There's, there's some country that wants to create a lower rate will just create a deduction or credit for something, and then they'll, they'll, lo- they'll lower your taxable income, and then you'll be paying 15% on a lower number. So what difference does it make? So somebody, who's this Austin Alfred? Who's that? A CEO at Lambda School, the coding school. Uh, and he's talking about uh, an organization of 20,000 people. And then a journalist says, we found that we found the most frustrated 15 people actively complaining on message boards, assume everything they tell us is true and then present their experience as the average. <laughs> and this is what we're calling journalism in 2021. Oh, I thought that was the American way. And that that is what's happening. You're getting a, a incredibly small sample size of very frustrated people during COVID, and then projecting out these hit pieces. Uh, that's well, this. A... Is... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I mean, this is all stuff that I I blame on this original idea of you know let's just put the content for free on the internet and they'll still pay for subscriptions. This is what happens when you make content free that anybody feels like they can provide it, that there's, there's no standards to it. You know, we combine that with our weird regulatory leftover section 230 thing where, you know, the, the platforms say, Hey, I'm just a platform, even though they have more publishing reach and power than any newspaper publisher ever had. Um, you know, they, they want to basically, uh, if, if every, if everybody can content, and the co- value of content is based on how many people actually see it, not how informative it is, how in-depth it is, et cetera. It's not the quality of it, but how many people, literally how many eyeballs reach it, then, then the drive to create content is completely shifted, right? So I don't really think that this is necessarily that like historically all of what journalism was we always had like a contingent of yellow journalism and we had all the muckrakers and things like that but there's generally been a standard that a certain type of you know you have to meet certain qualifications to be a journalist i remember journalism classes where they were like here's what you have to answer in any particular you know news piece or whatever and none of that is uh is mandatory for any content that's released now so along with you know um, the problem with making content is anybody can make content in a first person sense, right? I'm going to give you the world according to my vision, right? That's fine. But the problem is everybody who starts equating their uh, opinion with expertise. And that's what happens with free content is that it's, there's no longer 
um, there's the, the quality is so far down that it's really just extremes that get rewarded. So, I mean, I'll, I put all of this stuff on this idea, this very short-sighted idea that started with the New York Times thinking that uh, nobody is going to look at the internet instead of a newspaper. And this is all of this is what happened. Now they're starting to put paywalls everywhere. And um, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, it's a little too late for most of that. Yeah, now it's like walking kind of, it backwards. Yeah. And they're all, everybody's just running end runs around it. And then they're like, okay, well, we're just not going to look at you because now we have 5,000, you know, other sites that are all free. So, you know, and they pay for your site and they'll re re um, post it and I'll just look at the reposting for free or whatever. So, I mean, I think it's too late for them to have that structure. It need, they need to come up with something better. It's too late for them to try and add on, but it's also too late to consider, you know, that, um, that any sort of journalism, that uh, that what people post is journalism. They are not the same. Posting something does not make you a journalist. Giving your opinion does not make you a journalist. Talking to your friends does not make you a journalist. These are not things that are part of journalism. These are part of people who are just posting and getting broad views. That's not journalism. That's not the same thing. Yep. So next one, Ken shares this one from the LA Times, that the CD world of private lending in Squid Game is a real temptation in South Korea. The business card tossed with expert precision from a motorcycle at as it sped away landed at, uh, at Park Chu-woo's feet just as he was nearing the end of his wits. The brightly colored card advertised quick low interest loans, especially to small business owners maxed out on all other lines of credit and with payday looming for the employees of his small chain of coffee shops, Park dialed the phone number. With that call three years ago, he entered the underground world of illegal private lending that tempts desperate South Koreans, then ensnares them with crippling interest rates, oppressive collection methods, and a slippery slope lending to more debt. Soon, motorcycle riding, tatted up skinheads showing up to talk terms with Park, they dropped off a wad of cash and began coming by his store daily to collect interest at an annualized rate of 210%. You really have no other choice, says Park, 45 years old, who has been borrowing from private loan sharks for about three years and has had to increase the sum after the COVID-19 pandemic gutted sales at his coffee shops. It can send you down a sand pit trap. So they're talking about for those who watched uh squid game it's just adding additional cultural context to the amount of uh of debt that people are getting in themselves into in korea are are banks not um used as a main lending source are there like what is what is the the driver of this private loan business are they very strict yes yeah, very in in Thailand, it doesn't happen. Like you don't really go to banks for small, be, medium business loans. Yeah, and, I, and I've been to Korea. I, I, I used to lead a team there, and uh, the banks there are pretty strict in terms of collateral, credit checks, uh, etc. And they take a long time to process loans, um, so it's much quicker. If you with a money lender, you'll get same day, right? So it's a lot more faster. I think, yeah, I think that's the main issue. 
Okay, next up uh, is this one from Cal Patel from the BBC. That buy now, pay later firm Klarna, who pioneered and popularized the whole buy now, pay later craze, now offers pay now option. <laughs> Klarna's boss, <laughs> Sebastian, <laughs> says people should mostly pay with the money they have rather than take out credit. They include a pay now option to let people pay for items in full immediately. It's this hot new concept called buying shit. <laughs> it sounds so revolutionary. Innovation, you know. This is amazing. Innovation. We're calling it pay now. <laughs> they Holy finally fuck. realize what they have done, and now we. It's called it's called fuck you pay me f u p m. Fuck you pay me. This is the most revolutionary idea I've ever heard in my life. There's already an app called Fuck You Pay Me. I can there's actually unravel that a bit. Because the thing is here that they are actually be, doing this to beat the legislation and regulation in Sweden. Yes. They are actually facing that the, the, they would have a law that they must allow it. So now they say, oh, by the way, we, we now uh, have this extra feature that you else will force us to do. So here you are. Congratulations. So Klarna hey, is very proud of Is there a specific uh, credit, credit score that you need to qualify for pay now? For pay now, yeah. No, you, one, well, the great thing is, is <laughs> if you've paid... <laughs> You, just if you pay now, pay your now. credit goes down. There's this amazing. There's this amazing. There's this amazing score called a bank account, and they look at it, and if your bank account exceeds the cost of the item, you can pay for it now. Yeah, but then if you buy now, you you regret later because you could have paid it later. So it's now buy now regret later schemes. Or uh, pay now buy later. I don't know, y'all. Pay now sounds like a scam. <laughs> huh? <laughs> said, "Pay now." If you if you can pay now, your credit score will go up very high. Clarna said that that pay now option and other changes it was making would give customers more clarity and control. Yeah, so they are saying that pay buy now, pay later is less clarity and less control, right? They're meeting it now. Mm, yeah, but it, no, that, that that's actually that's because default rates. Uh, actually, yes, default rates are slowly heading upwards. Default rates, precisely. which were two three percent, is up to five six percent now. It's doubled. Now, Chris, yeah. know why I don't like that scheme, right? It says the pay now option for customers is already available in several of the twenty other countries where Klarna operates. Yeah, it's called... Only 20 countries have pay yeah, now? It's called purchase. Wait, only 20 countries have pay now in the whole world. That's so interesting. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it goes to the UK um, headline that we um, had, uh, was it a week ago or was it two weeks ago? I forget, but um, the UK, the people in the UK don't know when they're actually using Klarna. So, yeah, it kind of let's say immense that issue because well that that, that number could go up much higher if they're, if they're allowing people to pay now would you like I to think this is what differentiates much, much, much. um you know buy now play, pay later from layaway so when you were talking about Klarna several months ago you know a few people were saying well we you know we had that model and it was a layaway model but with that retail model people actually had to wait 
to pick up their merchandise, you know, so it wasn't, you know, buy now, take it home, you know, let the buzz wear off and then have, you know, eight years worth of payments. It's like, no, I want to save up for, you know, my kid's Christmas. Here's the list of things I want to, you know, be able to purchase by the 25th of December and I'm going to make payments along the way. So, I, I mean, I, I, I think that's the fundamental difference between what we're seeing now and, you know, the model that existed back in the day. Well, that, that was a layaway plan, wasn't it? I mean. Yeah, that's what I, that's, yeah. yeah, that was my yeah. point. That, you used to have I mean, a place called Rent-A-Center. Psychologically, it's different. You know, psychologically, yeah, but, but, it's like I'm going to save up and be able to put something on hold that I really, really want to buy, as opposed to this kind of hedonistic, impulsive, I want this, 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 and this, and I'll figure out when and how I pay for it later. Well, let me mentioned Rent-A-Center or Aaron. Yeah, we used to have Rent-A-Center. Buy now, pay later, where you get the product immediately, but then you have the cost over time plus interest. So you pay um, triple fold the amount, but it's still a buy now, pay later. I, I think yeah, before the buy now, pay later exists, there's also interest-free installment if the merchant uh, sign up for that. So, 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 so let me read some data for you guys. Credit Karma surveyed 1.8 PL users back in December 2020 and found one in three missing payments and many reporting their credit score lowered accordingly. Uh, it it doesn't end there as the sparkling firecracker news of acquisitions, plans, and partnerships in the BNPL space fizzle, oversight reporting has sprung up. An updated survey from late August 2021 found that out of 3,353 adults, one in five has used buy now, pay later. Uh, and they found that one in six regretted that decision and that many, uh, the product is most popular with the millennials. So it's getting there. Thank you for that. So a new headline just breaking now is that the New York attorney generals have, uh, what does it say? Oh, shit. Where'd it go? Here it is. New York attorney general sends a cease and desist letter to two cryptocurrency lending firms. Speaking of paying later, improperly, re <laughs> improperly redacted docs suggest the recipients were the names of the two cryptocurrency lending firms are called Nexo and Celsius. And this is, Ooh, yes. Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt, but no, yes, but it, I know. It's, it's clearly re relevant to Coinbase, who about two or three weeks ago wanted to launch their own crypto lending called Lend. And then they got a letter from the SEC telling them to stop or they would be sued. And they said, WTF, bro, uh, there's a whole bunch of other people doing this. Why can't we do it? And now they're sh shutting down. Nope, they no. So it's interesting that it's it's New York. This has now become the trend. If I, I'm sorry, I just I have so much on this particular thing and I will just narrow it down. Go, but, go ahead. Um, so here's what's happening now. So New York tends to be now. This is our our new um, our new what do you call it SOP standard operating procedure is New York is going after people because they have very broad reach in turn in their um, in in their uh, regulations, and then um, they take the evidence even after settlement and give it to the federal government. 
So like whatever they can't use, it doesn't mean that they, that they're going to use it for prosecution. If they can't use it or find a hook, then what they do is they pass it along, which is what's happening to Tether. The thing about the, um, all the lending things. And what's funny is that even Gensler actually like discussed Coinbase, which is funny because I mean, it's like he was so annoyed. He actually had to say something about it. So just to do Coinbase, when Coinbase came to the SEC, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but um, when he, the reason they didn't meet with him, and, and Gensler actually said this, is the reason, you know, we'll only meet with you if you have a novel issue. If you don't have a novel issue, this is how we handle it. We send you a Wells letter. And he didn't have a novel issue because this whole area of DeFi is coming, there's a winter coming, right? Because Almost all of them have done it improperly. It is not to say that they didn't, you know, they had bad intentions or anything like that. But once again, we had one person or a couple of people propagate a model that clearly wasn't acceptable within the securities regulations. And then everybody else said, we'll use that model instead of figuring it out themselves. This is the same thing as like people jumping into an investment because they see certain large, you know, uh, funds in it. And so they're like, well, they must have done their research. It happens that no, sometimes they didn't do any research. Somebody just came up with a model and the one that Celsius, I'm not even going to speak specifically about that, but I happen to have seen their letter, um, their opinion letter early on, and that alone was problematic, but they didn't realize it. I tried to tell them years ago, this was going to be a problem for them, but they were like, no, it's fine. It's going to be great. No big deal. This will, you know, the SEC won't care. But were the SEC even prepared, though? Did they have policies in place? It seems yes, like everyone was looking. Yes, this is very old. This is from the 90s. This is wow. a super old thing. So this is the problem is that somehow, for some reason, within the blockchain community particularly, there is now this idea that Howie is the sum total of securities laws. And it is not, not even close, not even a little, right? It's one part of one thing that sometimes might be a security. But there's a whole list of things that are always securities, no matter what you do with them. And there's a whole list of things that are not securities uh, or that are securities sometimes, depending on what you do with them. And that second list is what all the lawyers get paid on knowing, right, is figuring out where you fall in that list. But for this, what they're doing is is there's another whole test and another whole area that completely covers all of this lending instruments as securities and the way they're doing it is exactly within that. Like, that's why he said there's not a novel thing here. This is exactly prohibited. Um, and DeFi only really rose up this summer. So now they're on it now, right? So DeFi has been around for a little bit longer, but all the money flew in. Um, I think they had like something like a, um, like it's like a 400x growth in, uh, in the amount um, assets total value locked from just in the summer. So that's why now it's gaining interest, not because it was fine before, but it's because it was tiny and they didn't know about it. Nobody knew about it ahead of time. They didn't look at it. It wasn't, you know, it didn't reach the attention of the SEC. But this is the problem of not having good counsel. What are the, I don't even know that some of these people even have counsel. Who are they asking these things to? Because this is a very modeling after others. What? They're modeling after others rather than looking into it themselves. For who does this, does it work? For whom does it work that you, you say, well, it may be illegal, but everyone else is doing it. Like, like, I think maybe, you know, when I was seven and eating candy on the playground when you weren't supposed to, maybe 
But even then it doesn't work, right? Like it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You, it, no, that argument is completely not persuasive to anybody who has a child or to anybody who has, um, who has dealt with the law. The everyone else is doing it. It just means we're going after everyone and, and poor you, you got screwed first. Right. But, but it's, I don't understand why they even look at that or other, or other agencies talk to us. They have different standards and it might be murkier in these others, in these other agencies. It's just super clear with the SEC. So, so a few of these companies are definitely going to survive, right? They're going to try and, and figure this out, reconfigure what they're doing and how they're doing it. Um, it's really important for DeFi to survive. I, 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 this area is super, super important, which is why this makes me super angry because DeFi has basically the only method of uh, accessing generational wealth for people who weren't smart enough to be born with it, right? I picked the, I didn't pick the right parents. I didn't get a trust fund. So the way that you have that, the most reliable way to gain generational wealth is the use of financial tools that employ interest and time. And the barrier to entry in DeFi is, is like exponentially lower than traditional finance, which is why it's important to have, it makes everybody uh, able to create wealth when uh, before it was just excluded uh, for people who were below a certain amount, just, just weren't able to make any of those um, instruments work. But all of these things have to be cleaned up. You can't continue operating in a way that's so clearly and blatantly illegal, especially as we start combining jurisdictions and having cross-border um, jurisdictional protection, right? So um, so it's really important that these things get resolved. Um, so I think what's going to end up happening is pretty much, you know, 2017, we'll have um, a big contraction. And then the companies that come out of it and the ones that are started afterwards are significantly better. Um, they operate better. There's more transparency. There's less, you know, less inherent risk. You can add risk, but there's less inherent risk in, in the in the propositions that are proposed. So that's just what's coming. I mean, I don't know that again, that's not legal or investment or financial advice. It's just I don't I don't really see any alternative to that otherwise. Okay. Thank you for that. <clears throat> Next up is a headline from Yo uh, Johan from Vice, the death of Ronald McDonald. At one point, the fast food mascot was more recognizable than Jesus Christ. Oh, what, my God, he died? What happened? He, he ate a Subway tuna sandwich. <laughs> Ronald, <laughs> Ronald died from Subway? At one point, yeah, he came to Rhode Island and ate no, that subway. Hold on, hold on. He crossed the path. All jokes aside, here we're talking about Ronald. Show some respect, people. It says, <laughs> no, "Hold that foot." <laughs> when no. he said, "Hold that foot long," guys, let him finish this obituary, please. <laughs> no one can pinpoint the exact date that he disappeared. The 58-year-old always knew how to stand out from the crowd. Bright red hair, painted face, long shoes. In 2004, a small sample of children found him to be more recognizable than founding father George Washington and Jesus Christ, the son of God himself. But no one raised the alarm when he <laughs> stopped appearing on British TV screens. No one wept when his cardboard cutouts were shoved into the stockroom next to... I wept. The... I disagree. Jesus wept. I wept. <laughs> Tyler, you know you wept. When we're burgers, dude. When was the last time you sat on a bench... With his cold plastic arm stretched stiff behind your back. Uh, oh my God. A, rick a rictus <laughs> grin frozen on his face. Ronald McDonald. I have some stories. 
Ronald McDonald has been missing for seven years. In 1934, Ronald was born in the second oldest hospital in Virginia, or at least Willard Scott was, when he was approaching 30 radio personality and children's entertainer Willard Scott donned a wig and white gloves for the TV debut of Ronald McDonald, the hamburger happy clown. After Scott retired, Willard Scott actually just died, the real Willard Scott. Oh, maybe that's related. Yeah, just for, you know, because we have international people here. Willard Scott was a very well-known weather forecaster on, um, I think, NBC uh, in the United States for many years. He basically preceded Al Roker as the... Uh, the, the the weather for, uh, forecaster on NBC's national like morning uh, program. Yeah. So it says today the topic of Ronald McDonald. The official McDonald's website declares we're afraid that Ronald McDonald no longer appears in McDonald's UK advertising. Before adding that he still travels up and down the country to visit restaurants and ominously make sure everyone is enjoying their meals. McDonald's UK press office declined to elaborate on the reason for the clown's departure, but clarified Ronald hasn't appeared in any UK advertising since 2014. This includes any appearances in restaurants. When press... So he's just wandering around, like, free of, like, his contract? He's in prison. The plot is thicker than... uh, He's got COVID. They says, when pressed for an explanation, the McDonald's press officer replied, I'm afraid we don't have any further anything further to add. The plot is thicker than a vanilla milkshake waking its way up a paper straw. (laughs) What happened in 2014 exactly to make Ronald persona non hamburger, hamburger. (laughs) (laughs) He was a pedophile in 2016. That's reserved for subway folks. McDonald's announced that Ronald would be taking a step back in those big red shoes because that year, global creepy clown sightings with two Coventry clowns even chasing children across the park. Oh, now we're getting down to this, folks. Oh, that was yeah, no, I remember. Clowns. I remember that. Clowns, yeah, yeah. those killer oh, clowns. I remember yep. that. Now, now, wait, wait, wait. No, no. From us, you Conspiracy theory. Now we're there getting. We now we're getting into there this. We Here we go. Mullion scolder on the case. We're going down into the rabbit hole now. McDonald's are mindful of the current climate around clown sightings in communities and as such are being thoughtful with respect to Ronald McDonald's participation in community events for the time being, read the corporate official statement at the time. But Ronnie had already disappeared from UK advertising a whole two years before. Attempts to get to the... Hamburglar here. Attempts... Hamburglar here. I'm still alive, folks. <laughs> no, this is some deep shit, though. Like, this is... This is wild, and I noticed I noticed a couple things. I noticed like when when Ronald like went missing. That's kind of when all the like ice cream machines started breaking. Because <laughs> <laughs> he fixes them all. He's like Santa Claus for the ice like, cream machine. Like the guys. tooth fairy. I actually read an article about why those ice cream machines are broken all the time. It's uh, it's DRM. Uh, it's because they hate cleaning it. All the people who work there hate cleaning it. So and, whenever and it doesn't have, work at all, they just say it's broken, and then they don't want to clean it. Like they just—it's so horrible to clean. Uh, it, 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 more, it, it goes deeper than that. Yeah, it goes deeper. The ice cream machines at McDonald's. This is actually a really, really deep rabbit hole. Of course, the McDonald's is only used to allow one 
of the special kind of machine from one supplier. Taylor. And they are Taylor. Allowed Taylor. to be yeah. serviced by one special firm, and they are never available. So, yeah. Yep. Sorry. Correct. Monopoly. Thanks for bringing sanity in the conversation, Johan. We were having fun. It's a. It's a. <laughs> I brought the who, up. Who brought the Swedish Who brought the Swede into the party? Swiss aren't. Apparently, apparently they never cleaned the, the ice cream machine in McDonald's. So good luck. For now, I mean, Ronald gives it its street flavor. For now, Ronald is still missing. Presumed hamburgered, hamburger, hamburgled. Killer clowns and childhood obesity may have united to finish off the redhead, but his outdated vibe (laughs) wasn't doing him any favors. Even children, even children, a 2008 study conducted by, by one Dr. Penny Curtis found don't take clowns. What? (laughs) (laughs) Ronald. Like most clowns, is a mere mortal destined to crumble into dust and fade into obscurity like all who have lived before and shall live since. Or as... The penny drops. The penny drops. Yeah. What a a weird... Well, well, Tyler, there might be a more logical explanation. You're talking about the UK. I was just looking this up. It could have been conceptually tied to the whole issue with Mad Cow because it was a ban on British beef up until... 2016, so maybe you keep Ronald around for McDonald's to make eating beef look better. And, and, and that now that Mad Cow's not an issue anymore, you don't need Ronald. I don't want to put his business out there, but honestly, he goes to the 24-hour fitness over here on Sepulveda. <laughs> Ronald no longer likes to eat beef. Is he, is he living in... I see that dude at the gym like every other morning. Is he living in a van and he comes in and, and showers at the gym every afternoon? He, he does, and he gets in a couple of sets. <laughs> dude's, oh dude's, pretty, he's pretty rich. The dude's jacked. He's got some. <laughs> was today chest day? Today was chest day. Ronald was, <laughs> oh my God. He was putting up weights. He, hey, McRib's coming next week, so he's getting ready. <laughs> Face, so now Dr. Fran found a European publication now jumping on the Facebook bandwagon about this story. Here's their headline from the next web out of Brussels. Facebook wants you to believe its AI is working against hate speech. Oh, no, not really. That's not what they said. Your friends at the Wall Street Journal tried to write a post like this. And then Facebook, as usual, brought the, the whole full context to the to the discussion and you know ended the whole brouhaha so why are you writing this post you're 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 trying to help your friends over there at the wall street journal wtf wsj despite these facebook it's really weird to see other journalists trying to put wind in the sails of their friends writing really bad posts anyway the next one is from wired and it says that the Facebook whistleblower won't change anything. Whistleblowing has turned into a secular form of confession that keeps the limelight on one person instead of the movements already doing the work. Truth be told, predicting the future isn't my strong suit. 
and I and I have a trophy to prove it. But here's one prediction I make with full confidence. The latest Facebook revelations, courtesy of whistleblower Francis Hogan, will have zero impact on regulation. No new laws, no new regulations, no new challenges worth a damn. And the issue isn't Hogan's testimony or proposals, not that there aren't issues with both, nor the inanity of some of the questions she got in return. Rather, the issue is with the expectations we place on whistleblowing. The idea we have of what whistleblowing can achieve. If whistleblowing has an archetypal story, it goes something like this. A stand-up figure within an organization and every person comes face-to-face with some central injustice the organization is perpetuating. Sometimes the motive is company profit, sometimes it's personal profit, but whatever the case, there's a smoke-filled room of men with cigars cackling while the rest of the world, including regulators, carry on oblivious to the change, the damage being done. At great personal risk, the every person goes public with their concerns, the truth outs. There are hearings called, exposés published, laws passed, the scholaric machinery of oversight belated kicks into gear, and the people in charge exchange their cigars for handcuffs. This is a popular idea for how change happens, and its popularity is no surprise because the change it promises riffs on some very foundational myths of American society. It's built on the assumption of good intentions, on the idea that sans a few ne'er-do-wells, regulators are ultimately just dependent on the right information to ensure justice is done. It's built on assumptions about the importance, <clears throat> the importance of the individual whistleblower, the individual, period. No matter that, no wonder that, in the cultural milieu that so loves its individualism, we hold up the whistleblower as a path to justice. But today, whistleblowing doesn't make those movements more possible. To the contrary, as I've previously written, with its insistence on the individual expert as the source of change, it makes them more difficult to sustain precisely because it venerates the single public heroic figure the notion of the whistleblowing active actively denigrates the less glamorous work necessary to sustain activism it's a great point i agree precisely because it venerates the single public heroic figure the notion of whistleblowing actively denigrates the less glamorous work necessary to sustain activism yeah now that you've got this figurehead poster child for this movement the entire weight of it is kind of on them to do to take action. And they're not. They're not going to take action. Or, or Frances Hogan isn't. She's a whistleblower. That lady over at Pinterest, that lady's taking some action. Azoma? Miss Azoma? She's an ass kicker. That yeah, lady's she's a, yeah, not to be trifled <laughs> with. Yeah. Yeah, that's true activism there, and it's like not trying to be famous or right. all of these other things that comes with it. It's really actually wanting change, and there's a big difference between like um, you know, um, what's it called again? Making an expose on um the Catholic Church and what they've done versus you know just saying I don't like this person, they need to get out of here, which is what most people are doing right now when it comes to in quotes journalism. So that's what drew me to that article because so much time is spent dissecting what the whistleblower is saying rather than taking action on what you know could be done and, and the issues at hand. It really takes away from a lot of the work that was being done silently. Um, 
I, I'm sure you guys already discussed it, but I missed it. What happened with the Pinterest thing? What is the person? There was a lady there named Mrs. Zoma who's black, who was claiming racial discrimination or harassment and whatnot. And then proceeded to in the case in the in the in the course of a single week like a week ago she worked together with california governor gavin newsom to pass a new law that will allow and this is the smartest law anyone could pass if they really wanted to make actual change there was a law passed that when when people who work at companies tech companies in california if you sign an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, because you work at Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, whatnot, that basically you're gagged. You're not able to say anything. So you were harassed or whatever, and now you're leaving the company. You can't really say anything because you signed this NDA that says, I'll never say anything. And if I do, you can sue the bejesus out of me. So during the Me Too movement, which was all about sexual harassment in the workplace, essentially, that because of the Me Too movement, one of the good things that came out of the Me Too movement was that now, even if you have an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, you still could uh, come forward about sexual harassment. And that won't, you're not gagged by your NDA. And then Miss Azoma, because she's black, it's more of a racial discriminatory issue. She said, well, that's great that women can now feel free to, you know, uh, make speak, you know, openly about sexual discrimination. But there are other types of discrimination in the workplace. So we need to open the, the different categories for everyone to express all the different types of harassment and discrimination they might experience in the workplace and not feel the fear of, you know, breaking their non-disclosure agreements that they signed at, with their employers. So now that's now been done. And she. Oh. Yeah. And that's treating it like a civil matter. Right. Where, yes. Whereas like some places it's kind of you want to get to the federal level. And it's a bit weird because, you know, you need a lot on your case to get to that level, isn't it? So making it more of a civil matter and actually working within the confines of the law with that state actually benefits the person because that's where they're living, that's where their jurisdiction is and all of these other things that comes into play. But it gets better. I'm sorry. Oh, real quick. Because then the next step is, okay, now that it's legal for you to do it, she was in the news again in the same week for publishing a guidebook on how to be an effective whistleblower. Now that it's legal for you to do it, here's how to do it. Step by step. Step one, do this, then two and three and four, and don't fall in this hole and this sand trap and do it this way and this way and this way and contact this resource and this. yeah she paved out carved the path she was a real trailblazer for other whistleblowers to do it in the most effective way so that they know they're doing it in the right ways and not in ways that could be kind of self self-sabotaging so self-fulfilling yes so it's brilliant um, brilliant br- those those two things that holy cow what what empowerment a... yes see that's the difference people that are willing to empower versus those that want to basically enrich right. themselves correct and she's and, and to give to, to help other people and to azoma's credit has done no has not tried to capture the limelight and whatnot 
Um, no capitalization whatsoever right. on her radar. At right. All. So I got nothing but respect for people who do shit like that. We, despite whether or not I agree with individuals from time to time on what their jam is, but I got you got to admire the hustle and the focus and the execution and the determination uh, and drive yeah she really got to quit. an end goal and it's That's sufficient right. right and it's gonna work basically so i remember when that was passed and i tweeted about it but you know the i had no idea it had to do with uh pinterest because i just read like new law passed and what the law was and um and my tweet which you know is relevant but misses this entire aspect of yay there's a whistleblower that actually figured out how to do this um, my tweet was basically that uh, California is just eroding NDAs more and more and more. Um, so, oh, uh, Jennifer uh, had something to say here. Um, she's in the audience. She says you can't use an NDA to prohibit illegal, uh, revealing illegal behavior. That is true. I mean, it doesn't, it can't, you can't protect it from, um, from uh, an NDA doesn't actually protect you from um, revealing things that are illegal. Like you can't use an NDA to commit a crime. But I thought that the act was um, originally what it what it did is right now NDAs are at its weakest uh, in, in California. Like if you sign an NDA because you're coming out of a, at a California company and you want to um, start a company or something like that, and you know if you sign an NDA, that's uh, not the same thing as signing an NDA for the companies coming out of like MIT, right? Because Massachusetts is super strong on theirs, and ours are much much weaker out here. So it's actually really 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 important. Um, to, to know like how strong an, NB, an NDA is when you're requiring one or signing one in your jurisdiction. So um, Jennifer says that it doesn't actually add new rights. I mean, maybe you could bring her up and she can add more on that. I think time and time again in California, at least, we see anytime uh, the actions of an employer, uh, you know, in, encumber an employee from seeking employment, uh, you know, we, we really put our teeth there because we have the uh, non-competes that are really useless in California, right? And I'm not a lawyer, but I do know that, you know, non-competes are pretty much useless now. Um, the NDAs are going to start getting less and less, uh, have less and less teeth. And so, you know, California continues to kind of lead the charge for the individual versus the corporation. Okay. That's and that's the thing about making things I mean, simple, it, right? It was weak originally in like 2000, like uh, around 2000. It was noted that this is a dangerous jurisdiction. People were talking about, um, you know, the benefits of starting a company in, um, in the U.S. Uh, as opposed, I'm sorry, in California versus another place. And they were like, well, the taxes or whatever, et cetera. But the biggest issue was... Um, was how much these uh, the NDAs were actually being eroded, and the, what was keeping them having any grounds whatsoever is that apparently, um, like Apple and Facebook and all the top companies up there, um, the companies are um, all maintain their own private agreements. Like you can't pilfer people from us without X Y Z contingency, and that's not a law. That's just act together they all just came to an agreement that like you can't steal directly from us or whatever i'm not really sure why but um but uh they that's how it works and if you violate it you are screwed like if you if you decide to steal um something for, like like the google and uber thing you know with with waymo and that went to court and honestly it was it was it was personal it was very personal because he, they broke that agreement that you don't 
you don't steal directly from uh, from another one of the big companies in uh, Silicon Valley. Wasn't that, that broken up, that sort of cartel? I thought there was a big FTC case a year or two ago that said they couldn't do that any longer, Alexandra, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't, but the thing is, I don't, all of it is unspoken. It's like this, this tacit underground agreement. I don't know how they can break up enforcing it. That's the problem is that, you know, they can all say, yes, you can hire from anywhere. And any of our people, when they leave us are free to go anywhere. But in, in fact, what ends up happening is they, you know, there's, it would be hard to prove, I think, because it's like any other collusion case though. So, you know, yeah, basically. It's like a little, it's like the tech mafia. That's really what they are. Okay, ready? Next one is from BB from Nikkei Japan. China finds. Messy? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was just wondering did you guys like cover like Colin Powell died of yes, we did. Uh, COVID? Yes. Complications due to COVID. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So BB has this one from Nikkei due Japan. To COVID. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. China face. China is fining Sony, which is from Japan, for an for an ad to launch an event, which happens to be on the anniversary of a battle. Beijing says dignity hurt by insensitivity over the 1937 clash that triggered war. Hold on a second. Chinese authorities say they have slapped a fine of 1 million yuan, which is about $155,000, on Sony groups over violations of advertising laws. The electronics to entertainment conglomerate Sony faced criticism in China this summer after announcing plans to hold a product launch event on July 7, which happens to be the anniversary of the clash between Japan and China in 1937 that led to a full-blown second Sino-Chinese-Japanese war. Sony apologized and canceled the event following major backlash. However, Chinese authorities still fined the company last week, saying that its actions hurt the dignity of the nation. China's advertising law states that online advertisers must not hurt the dignity or interests of the state. The 1 million yuan fine Sony has to pay is the maximum amount stipulated in China's law. Sony's China unit said that the company respects the decision and will cooperate. The unit said, we have thoroughly reviewed and improved our operations under the guidance of the relevant State Department so as not to make similar mistakes, adding that we will use this case as a lesson to take appropriate preventative measures in our daily operations. July 7 marks the anniversary of the Marco Polo Bridge incident in 1937, which triggered the Second China-Japan War. Chinese authorities, but also, of course, Chinese authorities also said they have fined uh, the S- Samsung 400,000 yuan, claiming that the company's advertisements of two smartphone models violate laws around interference with social order and spurring disobedience. Spurring disobedience. They're so fragile over there. Jesus fucking Christ, China. You're this raging maniac. I love maniac. the word disobedience, you're this, though. <laughs> you're, you're this raging maniac, and you can't take any of it. 
Get a th- get some thick skin, man. Jesus fucking Jesus. Christ, China. Oh, by the way, I do love China. Uh, G, uh, my name is Chris Jung. I do love China. <laughs> that was smooth. <laughs> that was so smooth. <laughs> well, that won't set off the... Uh, don't worry, the AIs don't detect I- irony yet or sarcasm, so... I got that in the clip. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, and and then that's not good because I saw your reach. I know your reach, Evan. Shit! Oh shit! Anybody, anybody that wants to see, and anybody that wants to see, don't remember. I shook in my boots when Evan said that. I was like, Yeah, don't forget, Chris. Evan just got an offer from China. Oh, no! Like I said, anybody that anybody that wants to see Chris Jung or hear Chris Jung vaporized live on Clubhouse, tune in. So speaking of China, um, it was revealed that China securely tests its first hypersonic missile in a move that catches U.S. uh, off guard, where the nuclear-capable missile circled the entire Earth at low orbit before descending on its target, ultimately missing by 20 miles. And now the update is a quote, we have no idea how they did this how China's secret hypersonic launch altered the global arms race. Triggered no one. The next one from Rajiv. From what's, that, what's that really fast object coming my way? Holy shit. Oh, get out of there, Chris. Exactly. That's a foot long. So the next one is uh, from Bloomberg. Floods. Th- we talk about droughts that are having a huge impact on the southwest of america and now keep in mind that water has to go somewhere that water doesn't just disappear it disappears from one area and it doubles down somewhere else so this headline that said floods threaten 25 percent of critical infrastructure in the u.s so we've got about 25 percent of the population being threatened by droughts, and we have another 25% of infrastructure being threatened by floods. Nearly a quarter of U.S. critical infrastructure is at risk of being flooded. These are the most threatened areas of the country. Here, let's find out. This could be a good Tech News Jeopardy session here. Let's see. If floods don't get you, lack of electricity or swamped hospital might, nearly a quarter of U.S. critical infrastructure, including utilities, airports, police stations, and more, are at risk of being inundated by flooding, according to a new report, a Brooklyn nonprofit dedicated to making climate risk more visible to the public. Roughly 14% of Americans' properties face direct risk from major storms, but the study shows danger extends far beyond the property lines. The, the authors say the report provides the first holistic understanding of flood risk beyond individual property level. In addition to critical infrastructure, the report assesses commercial buildings millions of miles of roads and socially important institutions such as schools and museums. Here's the quote. Even if your home is far from the risk of flooding or forest fires, you may not so easily escape the the systemic impacts from vulnerable critical infrastructure that sometimes extends hundreds of miles. The first street report comes to Congress and is debating whether to put trillions of dollars towards rebuilding aging infrastructure and making it more resistant to extreme weather and flooding by exacerb- 
being exacerbated by climate change. And now there's a map where it shows the critical infrastructure at risk, difference in share of critical infrastructure and residences in flood risk areas. And you can see if you are living in an area with a higher share of infrastructure risk or residency risk. That's a really cool map. And then there's another map of Miami where basically the whole thing's at risk. It's going down. And Sacramento, very much at risk, especially East Sacramento. Okay. Next up. We got that one from Ken is from Sharok that the richest families in Southeast Asia are on the lookout for the next unicorns. Some of Southeast Asia's old money tycoons are boosting investment in technology startups looking to ride a wave of surging valuations as they seek the next big thing. And I can speak from this with very firsthand knowledge because when I was doing my monthly events in Hong Kong at the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, Hong Kong is a whole bunch of billionaires in the real estate space, essentially. And now they're the, the, the children of those billionaires went to Stanford disproportionately. And now they are being tasked with the, the future investment of the family wealth. And they want to invest in startups. So um, similarly, Singapore has a ton of very wealthy families and they're looking at tech and Southeast Asia is about to boom. Get get ready. Here comes Southeast Asia and, and Singapore will likely play a very important role for Thailand and Cambodia, Laos. Uh, Indonesia. In, in, oh, Indon- Don't get me started on Indonesia. Jesus Christ. It's one of the. Is it like the fourth most populous country on the planet or, or third? So it's massive. The whole, the region is bigger than Europe. So get ready. It's going to be, it's going to be amazing. Okay. Next up uh, is from who? Who's this one? Oh, uh, the headline is what's behind News Corp's new spin on climate change. Australia's Rupert Murdoch owned tabloid newspapers, including the Daily Telegraph, the Herald Sun, and the Courier Mail have embarked on a bold new climate change campaign. The, the climate rebrand dubbed Mission Zero 2050 is billed by the company as putting Australia on a path to net zero future. The change has surprised Australian media observers and no doubt media consumers given News Corp's long-held climate denialist stance, which is well documented in public commentary and research. So what's happening now? What, what does this all mean? I don't know. You have to read the article. We've only got 13 minutes to the live stream Apple event. So I'm going to tweet that one out so we can move on to the next one, which is Russia's Yandex, which is Russia's version of Google. It's their main search engine launches rapid grocery delivery service in London. 15 minute deliveries in London by Russia's search engine. And the next one is the headline says, is China's new telescope the key to finding self-replicating swarms of alien robots? Now, that's some geeky clickbait right there. You got that. You that's a, that's worth a double click right there. Where's he, where's Eli when you need him? 
one of the well, actually for anyone who's been uh, following Lee Cronin, he actually has been doing some really interesting work about self-replicating robots. And in fact, I'll make sure to link it to the tweet here. Oh, he had a but, program. Just oh my like God. Beetlejuice, Eli just, just oh like God, Beetlejuice, Eli, just Eli just shows up. up. <laughs> okay, next up. Eli, here. Eli, Eli. A Mexican. Sorry, Io, go for it. A, a Mexican company. Yeah, I'm sorry, Eric launches a blockchain-powered COVID-19 test certificate. This is genius. Why weren't we all doing this? Medical services company MDS Mexico is using blockchain technology to prevent the forgery of fake COVID-19 tests in the Latin America country. Genius. You did it. Somebody did it. Mexico did it. What? Blockchain. Blockchain COVID passports. Yep. Yeah, Europe yep. is doing it, Singapore is doing it, Malaysia is doing it. What's the big deal? We, we need Thailand to do it. <laughs> On, I mean, just, a, just a quick note that in 10 minutes or 11 minutes, whatever, um, the uh, we're doing yes. a blockchain uh, room also. Just uh, like, is there community and, and, uh, and, you know, what is fear, uncertainty and doubt within this context of, uh, of blockchain? So come join the discussion. If, um, overlapping the um, Apple event, we should. Uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be laughing our asses off with with Michael in about ten minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, split rooms, ten minutes. Okay. But then I'll slide through. California scrambles to find electricity. Is the headline from the Wall Street Journal? The state is contending with the coming loss of gas-fired power plants, and its last remaining nuclear facility is planned transition to renewable energy. That's not going to end well. Well, the, I mean, you know what, what the other, what they're not talking about are the other um, states that are just using extremely expired um, plants, coal and gas plants uh, right now that are being used all over the country that, that should have been shut down uh, and com like completely ended 20 years ago are still in service. So they're even dirtier, they're even less efficient um, than they were, but they're being used because nobody wants to spend the money on building these new plants, um, especially building like what we really need, right? Smaller renewable energy plants that can be popped on and off depending on uh, need and also where the, where the rate, there, there you could, everybody has this uh, maximum amount of dirty, dirty power you can get, right? And then when you hit that, you have to shut down your plant and go to some alternative source, which you purchase um, on the grid if you can't, if you don't have a, a reasonable local source and the farther away it is, the more expensive it is. So what people are doing to reduce that expense is they're using these expired um, plants and then even the renewable ones are insufficient. So it's just, it's our infrastructure just needs updating. Um, overall, and generally speaking, I mean, California might just be talking about it, but they're not the only one that has a huge problem with it. It's all over. Imagine if we had an infrastructure bill in Congress. Oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> Chemicals used in packaging may play a role in 100,000 U.S. deaths a year. This is the, sto the story of may not prove to be fact yet. Yet, but in Japan, phthalates not allowed to use for toys and containers for certain foods. Good on Japan for that, because uh, these things are have a very, very long half life. Toxic. Yeah, and they're yeah. Sh Shaheen Shaheen has a lot of knowledge about this. He, he and I have been talking in the background about this, and uh, 
he's not here now, but he's got a lot about this, the, the phthalates. I think he studied it in college. Yeah, this shit should not be anywhere near food or uh, children's toys and whatnot. And the next one, NASA is studying how to build a Wi-Fi network on the moon in the hope it could solve Earth's digital divide. From Business Insider. Evan, did you read that one that you tweeted? Sounds like it's pretty self-evident. And online vets... For pets, well, yeah, that's implied in the word vets, I guess. But uh, televeterinary tele, tele services in Singapore uh, are taking off. I guess they will eventually everywhere. So your dog can talk to their vet through a Zoom-like call. Uh, assuming you know how, where to put the thermometer. How, how on earth is that going to work? Because at least, you know, a telephone visit, you say, press here. Does that hurt when you do that? Or if you turn to the side, can I see it? Like, what the, how is that even going to work? I, that just makes no sense to me. The dog's going to go, roof, roof. I mean, I don't really understand how that's supposed to work. That's just me. Uh, Monica sends in this one that India comes second in unicorn race in Q3. India added close to 10 unicorns in Q3 versus seven by China and four each by the UK and Canada. I guess number one was still U.S. And Jeff G. sends in this one about iPhone maker Foxconn will reveal three electronic vehicles on Monday. Well, we just revealed them about 30 minutes ago, including a big electronic bus. And then we've got this one from the BBC. You, you may be able to book a flying taxi within three years, which answers Chris's question from about 10 hours ago about how many years until we're flying around in electric vertical takeoff and landing autonomous taxis. And according to the BBC, it'll be three years. Firms are racing to bring flying taxis and the many airports they need into service. Which country do you think will go first? China. Korea? Japan, maybe? I don't know. Well, the race is Korea, currently... Japan. China has the most real traction at the moment. With what is, what is Messi, What's Messi's opinion? <laughs> That's all the... Yeah. I, did, so, I didn't hear but the that, music. But that, that only works <laughs> if... Hold on. That only works if we phrase it in the with the, Je the Jeopardy theme song. Uh, which will be the first country exactly. to actually uh, bring to life vertical takeoff and landing autonomous taxis? Korea. Messi? I'm going to say the U.S. No way. <laughs> there we oh, go. Wow. Messi might be right. Do you have the answer oh, or are we all discussing? Asia, Asia. No, we're trying. We're trying to hack our own system to jo to have Messi predict exactly. the future. <laughs> Messi, yeah, Domus, yeah, yeah Messi, Domus. See what happens is you play the Jeopardy. You ask a future question that doesn't have an answer yet. Yes. And Messi, Domus will tell you what will happen. <laughs> okay. So, but you, but she can't know. She can't know. No, she no, has no. To think it's a real yes. question. It's Messi, the magic eight ball. So okay, I Chris. I don't know why my network dies when Jeopardy comes in. <laughs> Chris, because it doesn't want the future to be predicted. It's Chris, a conspiracy theory. 
copy yeah, the YouTube link for today, so. Chris. Put in your calendar. And three years what ago, please open the magic box. What is it? I, I did say the US actually. No, this is predictive, Messi. So we don't have the answer. No you answer. were giving us the answer. It's three years uh, later. Korea Messi. piloted one, so I'd say Korea. Japan also piloted. Yeah, there's. Okay, never there's mind. Maybe pilots. China. The yeah. one that Japan piloted is a Chinese company. Oh really? Yes. Okay, great. And and you know what? Chinese, I'm yeah. gonna have to I'm gonna have to agree with Messi because I have seen in the background that Joby is already doing point to point tests, um, uh, parking lot to parking lot. So whether but it's autonomous, fully autonomous, I don't. Never mind. Just put an alarm in your calendar. Then three years later, you'll know the answer. Chris. <laughs> Okay, what do we got here? I think uh, just Tyler is having fun. All of us uh, fighting over the answer. <laughs> Let's see. We've got four minutes before the Apple live stream, um, which do we happen? I'm sure it's just Apple.com. Car- Carl says. Carl says UAE. Easy. Well, the other uh, and uh, Alexandra oh, is going to kind of stuff. Alexandra is going to start the blockchain room in three minutes too. Yeah, anyone uh, interested? Same with the Apple live stream here. Yeah, mm-hmm. just to think about live events, you have to pick one. Michael, are we? Are you hosting the party in this room with your Not amazing sure. system? Are you with us? Ground control. Time. Let's see. <laughs> Michael is not there. And and then did everybody check out um, Bill Gates dancing? Oh yes. Oh, no. No. Wait, did you retweet it? Yes. Did you retweet it, Chris? He really did. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm going to your Twitter right now. Don't you worry. I need to laugh. Um. So this is what uh, what Bill Gates's O face is like, I guess. Oh my goodness! What what is up with Bill Gates today? <laughs> He's better at dancing Bill Gates or Jack Ma. <laughs> is this legit, Chris? Oh my goodness! So there's a funny story from Vice that one of Spain's most celebrated female authors turned out to actually be three men who ha- who basically were going to continue to write books under the female author name of Carmen Mola, but they won a $1 million prize that was being awarded to Carmen Mola, so the three, uh, the three male authors stepped forward to receive the prize. The revelation, oh, the, the revelation came after Carmen Mola, who has sold over four hundred thousand books, won the hundred dollar, a hundred thousand dollar Planeta Literary Prize, and writers came forward to collect the coveted award. It's funny what money will do to privacy. Yeah, it's interesting because this is even like in the metaverse, like how people have different aliases especially with the digital influencers now like they could li- they literally just have like a team of like just guys behind this one female influencer which is yeah it's interesting so 
Well, I think the person also represented something that uh, I think in terms of the movement for women, I think they even say in the article, Tyler, that, uh, you know, represented the, uh, the, the the journey that women take or that women go through. Okay, and then here I we go. There's also a lot of... Oh, we move into the next room. Is there, or is it Just go room? to apple.com. I've got the audio here. Yep. Michael there? 